Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and tonight I am talking with my friend from the Leftover Army and fellow podcaster, Steve Miller. What's up, Steve? What's going on, Joe? It's a absolute pleasure to finally be on the StarkCast. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you on, dude. I'm, I'm sorry it's taken this long. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's it's all right. We, I mean, life, life, life is life. Life, we get busy. Things happen. You know, things, people change, patterns change, routines change, and sometimes things get pushed back. And but we're here now, and that's that. That I'm, I'm just stoked to be here. <laughs> yeah, well said. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I had some pretty big hiatuses there, especially like throughout 2020 and stuff. But but on a good schedule now. And so I, I was I was excited for this one coming up because I've been wanting to have you on for a while. Um, I had a great time getting to meet you at C2E2. Uh, we've uh, podcasted together on uh, Pop Culture Leftovers. And Oh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be bringing them up a bunch tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, God, what was that? Was that in 2019 C2E2? Um, or maybe it was 2018. It, it seems like. I feel like I've known you for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I start, I, you know? so so yeah, so I started listening to PCL in 2017, and I, I think you were already listening at that point, because um, I, yeah. I, I I feel like you were like one of the early on people, like um like like Rebecca and Joe and uh, Greg, and there there's a lot of names in there. No, that, there's that a I lot can... of those. There's a lot of people in the leftover army that's been in since like you know, episode one or, or right. like pre, pre episode 10, like their Deadpool review was my first one. And that was like episode hundred and something. Okay. Yeah. Them. My, my first one was, um, was, and it was a great episode for a first episode. It was when they were reviewing the, uh, the first Negan episode of the walking dead. I think it was season seven, episode one. <laughs> nice. And, and, and I think what hooked me on the show was, Jake made a comment about the lighting on the scene with what happens to Glenn and <laughs> Brian just fucking went off on him. And it was, it, it was, it was both mean and funny and it made me <laughs> laugh while I was at work. And I was like, yeah, get him, get him. And like, I just, just right then and there, just, I was immediately a fan. And I, like I was telling you before we started recording, like I, I still listen to this day. I'm just, very, very far behind on being current just because of whether or not I've seen what I've what I'm going to be listening to or just having time. But, you know, I, I'm going to get caught up eventually on them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good one. You know, they, I mean, they're they're They've been my favorite podcast for a very long time. Like after hearing that first episode, I just I loved the banter between them. I, I loved when they read the emails. I loved the the amount of interaction they had with, um, you know, like kind of their fan base and their listeners. Yep. And, and they were local. I was like, oh, these guys are in like Peoria, Illinois. Like they're not that far away. Like and, and you know, everybody says to their podcasts, it's like, oh, these are my podcast friends. You know, it's it's yep. like it's like you're sitting and in, in, in just listening to a group of friends talk. And that that's what that was for me. And I loved it. And then. Uh, you know, getting into the leftover army and everything on the Facebook page. And, and it's just such a wonderful community and, oh man, so many great people and from all over the world. Um, I know it, it's crazy. It blows me away. The, the amount of like, I, I've, 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 I've never had a friend in England. I've got, I've got people that I would consider friends in England <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's of the show. Like it's awesome. Um, yeah, like the fact that they were able to build a community like that where everybody respects each other. And, and, and well, I mean, then for the most part, they respect each other. There's some, there's a couple, 
two, three loose nails in there somewhere that that might not be well, mentioned. But well, and as the that, community gets bigger, that's always going to happen, especially in an online setting, you know? Yeah, it's true. And it, like it's cra- it's crazy to me when I go on and I see some of the people that are posting it, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> like, like, I don't know who you are. Like, who are you? And I'm just like, well, whatever. Just click like and move on. I've been an admin in the group for a while now, and we, and we really don't have to deal with too much stuff. It is a very, very civil group. That's you know, a, especially that's considering, thing. you know, what a cesspool a lot of Facebook is. <laughs> oh, my God. I l- let me tell you. So um, my my bo- and he'll be fine with me mentioning this because he he did like everybody knows. But um, he my boss at work. So he or before he started with my company, he had started a, a, a car club in Wisconsin called the Wisconsin Car Enthusiast Club. And it blew up. Um, like bigger than they ever, I think could have imagined. I think they started it as just to meant to be like a, just a little local town, just, just the two of them, you know, just, we're just going to hang out and do our car club thing. And, and then all of a sudden it, it took over the entire state and now their Facebook page has like 60 plus thousand members. Oh yeah. And like there, there can be. Like he he doesn't really manage that page anymore because he has now there's like a team of people that they're there. They kind of run it now. Um, but man, oh, man, it, especially in the early years, you could just go on there just for pure entertainment because it was always just a shit show. Some guy would post a car. And the next guy that didn't like it would come on, talk shit. And it was just it it, it, was, <laughs> it was craziness. But like all I would do, like I never got involved with any of that because I, I couldn't. But like when you have like a community like the Leftover Army, like that kind of community where they're all so accepting, it like empowers you to want to get involved. Like when I started listening to PCL, I didn't know that there was going to be a, a community of people that I was going to suddenly become friends with because we all like <laughs> right? listening to these guys <laughs> chat about movies and comic books. Like I didn't, I didn't know what to expect from that. And it, it turned into this really like, for me, it was a very humbling experience. I've, I've been in my life kind of an asshole. Um, and I, and I know it, but I, and I try to tone it back, but like, I, I I don't know how you are about like the, the the signs and everything, but I'm a Leo and I I very much like empower or in, live that Leo like and totally on accident. But you could read shit <laughs> about Leos, and I'm like, yep, I do that, I do that, I do that, I do that. Yep, like yep, that's me. And Leos are kind of dicks. <laughs> but that, <laughs> I don't that... I don't put too much stock into that. I I'm a Libra, and I okay. guess that's scales, and I do tend to weigh things out a lot. And I'm very good at playing devil's advocate in an argument and stuff like that, especially like when in my own head. And okay. so I'm like, maybe there is something to that. But yeah, eh, I, I, I've I've never been I don't I don't read like horoscopes daily and like, oh, what's my horoscope? Like, I'm not I'm not like that. But like just the I guess the 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 characteristic traits that are associated to those signs I do identify with because I've I've seen them within myself and like. Like I had a um, a friend of mine from high school, um, he was a Gemini, and then and his and his girlfriend would always be like, "You can't trust a Gemini," and <laughs> she, she was right; she couldn't trust him. But like, we we're also like fresh out of high school, so what nineteen year old can you trust? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the, the PCL, the the leftover army that that page was a super humbling experience for me, and definitely taught me how to. 
not be such an asshole and, and enjoy people a lot more. But I, I had people that around me before then that didn't give me reason to enjoy them. And and the leftover army gave me a lot of people that they all have reasons to enjoy them. They're all awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think there really is something to be said about, you know, if you have some sort of group like that, having a rule, you know, that, a rule of don't be an asshole <laughs> as right. one of the top rules. And then having that be enforced, it, it really does seem to work because it, it seems to weed itself out to where it's like, I don't know. Like I said, I, I've been an admin there for a while and we don't have to deal with too many instances of, of people being flat out dicks for the sake of being dicks. Like you see, like there's right. not like too many attacking comments. Um, people really do seem to, to work them out pretty well. That's good. That's yeah. good. I, I know I've had a couple spats with a few people on there that I've I've either resolved or just we just went our own separate ways and just ended it civil and we're 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 living life where they're living their <laughs> life. I'm living my life. Everything is good. I'm happy. They're happy. At least I think they're happy. I don't know if they're sitting there thinking about, man, I wish I was still friends with that Steve guy. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably not sitting there thinking that. Um but yeah, it's it's funny that you actually mentioned that 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 their the rule of uh, of don't be a dick because like at my at my job um, they have like they have these these expectations and um, it's sort of their like ten commandments kind of thing and like one of one of them is like this will never be a job if it ever feels like a job we're gonna you know do something to make it not feel like a job for you because um, that was sort of like the the idea that the company was built on that's cool and. Um, and then one of the other big rules is um, is uh, be respectful, no secrets, and always own your mood. And like, so owning your mood has a lot to do with like they want you to have a positive energy coming into the workplace. And you know, when you see somebody, even if you don't know like them by first name, just say hello when you're passing them because like it, it invokes a more positive attitude. And yeah. when you come in with a negative attitude, it can you can be like a cancerous sore on the team and the rest of the the, the people there. One hundred percent. Yeah. One 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 negative attitude can start to bring down the positivity of everybody else and turn a group of people negative. Um, and I mean, I've I, I, I can't lie. I've I've definitely like struggled working on that myself because like working editing videos for YouTube and and doing what we all do and trying to make it all work and just the craziness. It, it's like a literal freight train hopping on every single Monday and it just goes. And as soon as you better be at the same speed that it's at when you jump on, otherwise it'll catch you. And it's easy to get stressed out and it's easy to get overworked. And there's a lot of times where I've found myself like just questioning the things that I've been told. And I'm just like, I got to take a step back and take a deep breath and think about the fact that, you know, like these decisions are well thought out. And like I, they, these decisions are based on things that I may not be fully aware of. And I think that that, that sort of that PCL experience and the leftover army experience leading into this job has sort of kind of gone hand in hand to make me a better person, which I like fucking respect the hell out of. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, like, it's, the thing I always fall back on is kindness costs nothing. Right. And, and it exactly. opens so many doors. Like it's, yeah. And, and I truly, what, what you said about a negative attitude being like a cancer, they'll spread to the group. I've always described it as, negativity like that is kind of like a ball of tar, you know, like yep. you can, you can hold it and you can get rid of it, but it's still going to be on you. And so if you toss it at somebody else, even if they catch it and immediately throw it away, you know, it's that residue's left on them. 
Yeah. And yeah, it's, like, it's that, terrible. I like that. I like that a lot. That's different. I, I haven't heard it described like that, but I definitely like that a lot. Yeah, it's it's and it's it's so hard too because it is one of those things it's like that's a like a basic life principle right that you can't you cannot control the world around you but you can try to control the way that you're going to react to it right um the circle of control yeah it's they, uh, and it's fuck man it's so much easier said than done <laughs> yeah no seriously like like the, the, i would I, this is like a psa for anybody who's like 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 dead said like this is one of the things that they teach us at work is uh, the circle of control um so you like you have uh your circle of control which is like your outer or your circle of concern which is like the stuff that you are concerned about the stuff you're upset about the stuff that's working you up but it's it's stuff that's it's it's there's nothing that you can do to change it um so it's just stuff that you can only be concerned with and then uh you have your your circle of influence which is like the direct like I, I forget what I, I I'm not going to try and fuck that one up, um, but I forget what the circle of influence is. I got clearly I need a refresher on this. And they just <laughs> talked about it the other day at work. It suggests then, like, that those would be the things that that you can influence, if not control, you can influence things that are right. in that circle. Right. Because, right, it, yeah, you know, if things are concerned, this is what you're concerned about things of of influence. Like you can kind of influence this. I, I kind of see where you're going with this metaphor and I really dig it. Right. And then the, like in the center, you have your circle of control and like that's the things that you can work on. Like you're like for me and for instance, like like my mood and being positive because like that honing in on that circle of control and focusing on that will then trickle off into the circle of influence because my positivity will then be influencing that. And then like the, the circle of concern is just fairy dust shit that you don't have to worry about. Like like a, like a, a, a good thing that like. Like for like, I know a lot of people out there are like super invested into politics and like it like that. That is a circle of concern like that. That's that's not a circle of influence. That's not a circle of control. That is a circle of concern. Like you can influence it with your vote. But like aside from that, like like the people who are angry about it every single day. Um, yeah, those are the all they're doing that, is hurting themselves, right? Right. They're hurting themselves. They're destroying the relationships around them. And it's like it's it, the, the, the negativity doesn't do anything except for just create like just problems. It's just it's just not good. Yeah. Yeah. It's in so many people like it's like that becomes their hobby or their pastime. And to to see it identified as is like, no, your hobby of or pastime is like just dwelling in a circle of concern. <laughs> That's like you're essentially just spinning your wheels all day. Right. Yeah. Because like like I like if there's some people that I've met over my life that I, if I could show that, like, by the way, the circle of concern, if you YouTube that it, it there's a whole video that will explain the entire thing to you. And it's like an eye opening thing that like. It'll change your mood around like that because it's once you can visualize like what you've been pissed off about and see that it's like, oh, that's clearly a circle of concern. Like, and don't be a narcissist and lie to yourself just to be right. Just admit it. Like that's circle of concern. Like, like not something I need to be worried about. Maybe I should focus less on that and focus more on these, the, the circle of influence and the circle of control and like, like that sort of thing. So like, I don't know. I've, I've learned a lot of good things between the leftover army and, and work. And I, yeah, yeah, I'm happy with it. <laughs> uh, one of those things about the, the negative mindset um, that I read about recently that I've really been fixated on is a thing called ruminating, 
where you'll you'll get stuck in like a a pattern of negative thinking. And it's like, you'll just start dwelling on this thought. And it's like, you can't get rid of it. You just keep turning it over and over and over again in your mind. And that's called ruminating when you're doing it on a negative like subject. And the best way to do it is to more or less begin to recognize when you're doing that in your mind and then consciously let it go. And so it's really similar to like, have you ever done like meditation? Yeah. Yeah. I I actually quite frequent, I try to meditate, uh, like it was once a week. Now I'm doing it like once a month. Gotta be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I feel (laughs) you. But that same process you do in, in meditating where, you know, like when, when, when they say, you know, when you meditate, you gotta actively clear your mind and it's like, it's not so much a process of you sit down and now your mind is a blank sheet. It, it, it's like that room in the matrix before they fill it with all the shelves of guns, you know, that white room. It's like, that's <laughs> yeah, not, that's yep. not what it is. It's thoughts are going to come to your mind and then you recognize that you're about to pursue a stray thought and you consciously let it slip past you. Okay. And that's the same way to get past with ruminating. It's that exact same mental process that you would do when you're meditating and you recognize just any thought coming in ruminating when it's, you're doing it during your conscious life, you know, not something during a meditating exercise, you recognize that you're, you've slipped into this pattern or this groove in your mind. And then you consciously allow it to slip past and you See, move that, on. That was knowing what ruminating was like 10 years ago would have helped me <laughs> so <in> much. Spades. <laughs> God, I know man, when I, I read that, I was like, why didn't I fucking read this article? Like at the beginning of 2020, yeah, like, I just oh, saved shit. myself so much mental anguish. Man, oh man, yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 an interesting like thing to go out in the world and see all the crazy and try and not. Well, it's not it's not hard to not take part in it. Honestly, like I just I don't watch the news, so yeah, same. I, I, like I like that's how I stay out of it. As I just I stay out when people are like, "Didn't you know this happened?" And I'm like, "No, I don't. You know, I don't watch the news." Like, I mean, I and it's weird because like I grew up in a household where like every morning six a.m. the 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 local news station was on, and I would be in the like living room or in the kitchen listening to it or watching it and eating a bowl of cereal or taking the dog out or. Like there was always news in my life. I'd come home from work at or I'd come home from school at like two thirty in the afternoon, play some video games. Mom would get home at five. The news would go on at six. But before then would be like an episode of that 70s show and then Seinfeld right before the news. And then we'd watch the news for an hour. every <laughs> <Yeah>. night. So <laughs> as an adult, I just avoid the news entirely because I just the only time I watch the news is when I like feel like I need to like like when everything was going down with all the riots and stuff. There was some stuff that I was I was like, OK, well, I, there, it's happening pretty close to home. Maybe I should, you know, keep an eye on some things. So that's that's where that came in. But I definitely don't let it affect my mood. Yeah, because you're in Milwaukee, aren't you? Um, I at up until two years ago, I was uh, the first year working at the company that I'm at now. The company I'm at now is in Appleton, Wisconsin, which is about two hours north. Um, oh, or nice. if you, or if you drive like me, it's an hour and forty minutes. Um, <laughs> um, but <laughs> we were in Sheboygan over this summer. We had a really really good time up there. I know that's just a little bit north of Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sheboygan. Yeah, it's basically like I would say it's like halfway, maybe halfway. I it, it's weird because like when you're when you're coming up to Appleton, you have from Milwaukee. There's Lake Winnebago, 
that's directly south of Appleton. So you have to go either around the east side or the west side of Lake Winnebago. And Sheboygan's on, like, the east side of Lake Winnebago, and that's not the side I normally take, but it's technically, like, halfway in between Appleton and, and Milwaukee. Nice. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Wisconsin. This is such a beautiful state. I I hate it here. I, <laughs> I, 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 I say that I say that with an emphasis because like I there are parts of the state that you I feel you can find the right beauty in, but the parts of the state that I'm in just remind me of Illinois. <laughs> which is just flat and there's like like my horizon line is like whatever tree is whatever tree line is closest to me that's my horizon and like being a, a photo like one of my biggest biggest things is like i love landscape photography i don't get to do it that often because i don't like the, i don't like the landscape around me and when i first started shooting photos especially down in milwaukee i'd always do like cityscapes and try and go out to like the country by my grandma's because she lived on a lake and I would take a lot of sunsets out there and everything. But um, I just, I don't know. I, there's something about like, for me, I, this is going to sound crazy, but I want to move to Las Vegas um, because I, I, I love going there because when you, no matter what road you're on, you can be anywhere in town and you look down a road and if you can see like the sky, you can also see a mountain. And I, and I like that <laughs> shit. I love um, mountains. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know why it's a thing for me. It just it just is. And like I I don't want to I would love to move be able to move to some place like like Southern California because of the type of job that I do. But at the same time, that's also kind of crazy land. And uh, like there's a million people two there's two, three, four or five million people in in Southern California trying to do what I'm trying to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's, there's a significant there's there's still people trying to do it in Las Vegas, just a significantly less number of people, which means there's more money to be made. That's a really smart so, way to look at it. Yeah. So it's sort of it's sort of a trying to like I know I'm talented enough with what I do to go out and make money and make a living off of it. And and I do that already. It's just going out there. It's like, do I want to be? Uh, a medium-sized fish in an ocean or do I want to be a medium-sized fish in like a semi-decent-sized pond? Like, I think I'm going to go for the pond and see how that goes. Because, <laughs> Like, if I can find success on my career in Vegas, I, I, my end goal in life is to retire in Hawaii because I just want to oh, go nice. to the beach every day and take photos of waves. Like, that's... Like Clark Little on Instagram, if you if you follow him at all, amazing photographer. He does that for a living, and that's what I want to do for my retirement plan. Um, is just live out there and just take pictures in the ocean all the time. Um, well, you don't want to go goal, do that on Lake Michigan. <laughs> uh, I mean, it it has its appeal. No, uh, uh, no. When we were there over the summer, it was absolutely beautiful, and that's the closest I've ever been to an ocean. That's the biggest body of water I've ever seen is Lake Michigan. Really? Yeah, I'm I'm wow. I'm la I'm very landlocked in my travels. I've flown okay. over an ocean, but I didn't actually stand at the edge of it and see it. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I've had like uh, growing up in Milwaukee, man. That's just like I just had a coast all the time. <laughs> right. And, uh, don't get me wrong. There is there is um, a certain area of Milwaukee where like the water can get really nice and blue, but I personally feel you have to go pretty far north of Milwaukee to get that blue water or you have to go, ironically, to Chicago. 
It, like Chicago, for whatever reason, has like some of the bluest water you can find in Lake Michigan. And then Sheboygan, Port Washington, there, those those Mequon, like north of of Milwaukee kind of places. Um, those places you can go, you can go out to the beach and find like nice, like bright blue water. And but when you go to Milwaukee, it's like a lot of times it's like gray or dark blue or just black and like it's not very like the like i've seen brown waves more often than not in milwaukee it's not the most appealing thing and it's not brown because the sun's shining through it it's like rainy dirt kicked up water like that's just not appealing and i don't know there's just for whatever reason i grew up in in wisconsin not seeing the appeal that a lot of other people because like there's people that i've met in my life that are like Wisconsin has it all. They, they like when you you want you want to move somewhere with beauty. Wisconsin has true beauty because that has it all. And I'm like, we don't have the Rocky Mountains. Like, no, but, but you guys do got some really good landscape. Like especially in like the Devil's Lake area. Go to like yes. Governor State Dodge. They get some really really beautiful sandstone formations. Basically, that whole driftless region of the state is just fucking gorgeous. Yeah, if, the western side of the state is is really really pretty, and then like like you said, Devil Devil's Lake and like Lacrosse and Eau Claire, like you can find mountains in Wisconsin, like in that area. Um, but growing up in like southeast Wisconsin, it's it's just flat and farms, and then a a, a, a decent sized city. I I say decent sized, but I used to always call it small, and then I moved to Appleton and realized that Appleton is a very, very, very small town that thinks it's a big city. And that, that's what is kind of the eye opener that, yeah, Milwaukee is actually pretty decent in size. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know why I don't see the appeal to it here, but I, I, it's weird. Cause it's like, I want to leave a beautiful green state and go to a place where it's just brown or orange. <laughs> But, you know, it's it's all in the eye of beholder and what you want to see, you know, um, and especially if that's coming through, you know, the eye of like a photographer and stuff um, like what? How did you first like get into photography? Like, where did your love of that uh, begin? So, OK, so uh, the, good question, actually. That's a very good question. Um, so when I was my my parents were both very, very young when I was born, they were both 20 um, when I was born and I spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up. So I spent a lot of time in front of a TV and from watching like uh, the 1989 Batman movie, uh, even uh, like I, I, I was four years old. I remember my grandparents taking me to a drive in movie theater to see Batman Returns and I watched it in the <laughs> nice. in the back of their station wagon. Like that was amazing to me. Um, Did you have any brothers or sisters growing up or only child? um, I was an only child until my mom. So my mom and dad separated um, by the time I was like two. I think they were just on and off until then. And then they like were they they never were married, but they they kind of ended it when when I was like two. And I think somewhere between three and four, my mom had met my stepdad and my stepdad had a daughter who she's my stepsister now. and she's two, almost two years younger than me. Um, so it, like I've kind of been an only child, but also had like step siblings until like I didn't start having other siblings until like 10 or 12 because that's when my my mom and stepdad, uh, they they finally had a kid, which is my little brother. And then my dad and stepmom, they eventually started having kids, too. And I have um, uh, so I have a. A, a brother named Damon and his name should be demon. He's I think, <laughs> 10. 
and I th- I'm pretty sure he's a spawn of Satan. Um, <laughs> so classic younger brother scenario. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, like I, 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 he's he's the youngest. He's not the middle, so he like he had the least amount of rules. And then um, and then ab- above him, I have my uh, my younger brother Max, who he is. He, he's going to be 19 in January. Um, and yeah, so I, I've got Heather, who's a year and a half younger than me. I've got Aaron, who is my little brother. He is 21 now. Then my little brother, Max, who's 19. And then my little brother, Damon, who's 10. And I think if you asked my dad, he would honestly tell you that Damon was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> the bonus kid, right? <laughs> he he. Uh, the, here's how I know he, Damon was an accident. My dad, like six months before my stepmom got pregnant, bought a brand new motorcycle that was fourteen thousand dollars. <laughs> That's how I know my dad wasn't planning on having a kid. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Evidence. You gotta you gotta pay attention to the details. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, that's a pretty big family, dude. Yeah. So, like, I wouldn't say that I was an only child, but, yeah, like, I I definitely spent the first four years of my life as an only child. Um, And I grew up all over the place uh, between my mom. Obviously, with my parents being young, they kind of moved around a lot. My mom lived lived in uh, lived right near uh, Brewer Stadium for a number of years with my grandfather and I got a lot of memories in that house. Um, then my grandma's house that was out at the lake, I don't ever remember them living at a different house, but apparently they moved to it when I was like two or three. Um, and I like that was a that was a place that I always spent time, especially in the wintertime, building igloos with my uh, my other grandparents. And just like that, that place is the house of memories for me. Um, but we're, we're with the, the love of photography thing. So yes. that's. So that sort of started because of my grandparents letting me watch movies all the time. And there wasn't really a limit on what they would let me watch. It just there couldn't be boobs, but (laughs) (laughs) like there couldn't be boobs. So like like a just about any Steven Seagal movie I I, I got shown probably before I was four years old. I know some of his movies have boobs in them, but I'm pretty sure they either made me look away or fast forwarded or or whatever. (laughs) Um but um, who, can see, who can forget that scene where the girl jumps out of the cake and under siege, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Classic. I'm blanking on the actress's name, but it is what it is. Yeah, it's OK. I can't remember her name either. And I'm like an encyclopedia for these kind of things. <laughs> um, but I know at a at a very young age, my uh, one of my family members bought me my first. Uh, it was it's just a point and shoot 35 millimeter film camera, um, probably a Canon or Kodak or something simple. And like they, they'd get me a, they got me a camera one year and they got me a 10 pack roll of film. And I burned through that film in like two weeks. And my mom, I think developed some of the photos and she, she was like, you know, some of these shots you could tell are taken by a 10 year old, but like some of these other shots actually like kind of have some potential. And it was like, I was very much into just cars cars and skateboarding at that time and i like when i was super young i definitely wasn't focused super on photography but as i got older um a, a lot of skateboarding led me into like oh i want to go out and make a skate video like i could do that so like in the tv productions class that i had in high school took um to, i ended up making a couple skate videos for that but uh it always was kind of there like i i just don't remember a time where i didn't have a camera um because like i remember being like 
seven or eight years old and having a film camera like I like because I I know because I remember the pictures that I've I have that are like a picture of me a completely out of focus <laughs> with a flash or something that's just an awful looking picture like not a picture that you'd keep but I've seen it and I like my mom has it floating around somewhere and I've seen it and I'm like I was like seven or eight in that picture so I I've definitely had cameras in my hands for a very long time but it wasn't until um it wasn't until I saw Transformers three of all movies being filmed at the art museum in Milwaukee. Um, it was, I think 2010, I was working for uh, an auto parts store, uh, advanced auto parts. And I took two days off of work when I found out they were going to be filming in Milwaukee. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go check this out. So I, I took, I had a, like a Kodak easy share point and shoot. I didn't have any kind of serious camera at the time. Cause I just couldn't afford it. And I went out and I spent two whole days just sitting there watching them film five minutes at most out of this movie. And like I wasn't I, – I, I can't say I wasn't big into Transformers. I, I, I fell for the gimmick of that movie and the, just the action-packed bullshit. <laughs> I, I, was a, I was a big, big Michael Bay fan as a, as a kid. Like I, I, Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2 really kind of got me hooked on that guy. So like – Regardless of him having like questionable movies at this point in time, like I was a fan of him growing up, and I I got to stick with that because like that's just what it is. Oh, that was but, obsessed uh, with that first Bad Boys movie when it first came out. It's so good. It's a very good it's, movie. <laughs> it's so good when the when the fucking cashier is like freeze, mother bitches, and they're like, no, you freeze, bitch. Like, yeah, fucking get it. Like that shit, fucking. I just lo- I loved it, and like. <laughs> I don't know. He just had a good good way of putting together action sequences. Armageddon also, I as flawed as that movie may be, I love it. Um, but yeah, like he was he, he was supposed to be filming, so I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go fucking check this out. And went and watched it, and that sort of set me on a on a way different path than I was already on because I was I was looking at going to school to be like a mechanic, like and like I had people tell me, don't go to school to be a mechanic. You don't want to be a mechanic. Being a mechanic sucks because you make a decent wage, but then you spend half your money buying new tools because you have to buy new tools every year because every year new cars have new parts that take new tools that you got to spend a third of your wage to buy these new tools. And I was like, yikes, that sounds awful. What am I going to do? And then the movie thing happened and I I was looking back on some of it and I was like, you know, I – I think I I bet I could do that because like I I've always kind of liked making shit like I made the skate videos all the time like let me see if I can try my hand at doing it like seriously and I started getting involved with some people that were involved in film festivals and making short films and then I started going to college and like my my love of film basically started from me being in love with movies as a kid like when I was a kid like I I would get fixated on like an actor. Like there was one point I know like Tom Hanks was an actor I was fixated on. So I had to watch all of Tom Hanks's movies. And then like Tom Cruise, I had an obsession with guys named Tom. Uh, Tom Cruise was another guy that I was like, I was like, dad, I want to see these movies. And I remember I gave my dad a list of Tom Cruise movies that I wanted for Christmas. And I know one of them was The Firm. And that was like, a movie that was way too adult for me at the time. And so he was, <laughs> right. he was like, yeah, he, like he looked at me and he pointed at, it. he was like, you're not getting that one. And I was like, <laughs> why not? Like, and I, I eventually watched the movie later on in life and I was like, Oh, there's some pretty adult themes. In there. <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's why there's some very, that's like, it's like showing a kid devil's advocate. Like that's not oh a thing. My God, you right? do. No, <laughs> it'd be so, a terrible movie to show a kid. <laughs> There's like, so much I, fucked up shit in that movie. 
Yeah, yeah, but I like I, at the same t- on the same token of it, like I grew up, like I grew up literally on movies like like I know Batman eighty nine Batman and Batman Returns. Those are like very very kid movies, and especially once you get into like the Joel Schumacher ones, like holy oh, big time. Where yeah, they go big neon. Time. Yeah, all the oh god, I I've tried multiple times to get Brianna to watch either one of the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. And they, she just, she's not about it. She's like, I'll watch the first one with you. I don't even really like the second one that much. And I'm, that hurts me because I like the second one just as much as I like the <laughs> Batman first. Batman Forever is like watchable, but like Batman and Robin is just, it, it, it's bad. Watch it with the intention of making fun of it. And then it's a good time. But like to try and oh, yeah. take it like, oh, this is a serious Batman movie. It's like, there's a bat credit card in that movie. It's so <laughs> yeah. fucking campy. Yeah, it's it, it gets pretty, it's pretty awful in the, the Batman and Robin one. And I can't even like, I think most of my appeal to that movie at the time it came out, because like, like those movies basically came out for me as a kid. Uh, oh yeah, I loved them when I was a kid. Yeah, like I was in that age bracket where I was like, I think I was like, 10 or 11 when Batman and Robin came out and um and I and I remember like I I just thought Uma Thurman was so fucking hot as Poison Ivy and like she is <laughs> like she is fucking hot as Poison Ivy but I was just like I was obsessed like I like I might have found out things about myself because of her <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like just growing up around movies and having that influence consistently in my life I think is what really drew me in and then like it it definitely had somebody said to me like, Hey, have you ever thought about making movies as like a career? Had somebody said that to me at like 16 years old, I probably would have gotten into involved in it, in, in it sooner, but I didn't, I didn't get to into, into college until I was 24. Um, and, and, and before then I, you know, I, like I said, I was, I was all like Mr. Automotive mechanic head. Like I'm going to go to school and be a mechanic. And, um, and I, it just that never worked out. But the, the the film school thing that came up and I was just like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. And I'm like, fuck, I wish I would have gotten into this, you know, 10 years ago, because like had I been taking seriously what I did 10 years ago, like it could have been drastically different on the outcome of where my career path led to. Because like I know I, I got a couple of friends that they they went to UWM, which was like the expensive film school to go to in Milwaukee and out of my price range. But like they those guys specifically have gone out to go do the things that like I want to do. And like I've had to kind of build up my skill and prove myself and do it all without this very expensive sheet of paper that says that I know what I'm doing. And it's sort of if it's like if, if I knew that that was what I wanted to do at 16 or even younger, like I, I could have pursued it earlier. But I also know that I had this roadblock in my life where like. Like I, I grew up, I was like, I was, I was 12 in the year 2000 and like internet was already kind of, it was already a thing at that point and, you know, becoming bigger. But like, I saw the change of like analog to digital, like, like you did too. Like we all saw Mm -hmm. it. And like that had a major influence on where my life went and where it could have gone. Like, had I been born 10, 15 years sooner, I might not have been able to get into that film thing as heavily as I did because I might have been more focused on like, no, just getting the realistic job and getting my feet dug in the ground somewhere and, you know, following the steps of my parents. But at one point I was like, why do I want to follow the steps of my parents when the whole goal or their whole goal is to give me a better life than what they had? Why not take that opportunity to go do that? So 
that's kind of what I'm what I'm after is just giving myself that that life that my parents didn't get to have. And I feel like I've already achieved it, but like I'm still going to go at it. I'm still going to keep on trying because what I really want to do is is make movies. And that may not be a thing that ever gets to happen because that's a very, very, very complex idea. But if I get close, if like I've I've already been close, like I I, I shouldn't even say it like I haven't been close Uh in, uh, in September, I, I was on stage filming uh, Macklemore. I mean, granted, he's, oh, not nice. like, <laughs> he's not like a super popular dude anymore, but everybody knows who Macklemore is. And like we uh, I got I got brought on uh, because of a project that I worked on at my job. There was a guy there that he he does like the charity organization. And through his affiliations outside of work, he was involved because he's he's a, a recovering addict, and so he he does a lot of um, work with people who are recovering addicts, and he he's lost a lot of people, even his own son, to uh, to addiction, and and so like like he saw the the project that I had made, and was he was very very excited about this project that I did, so he was like you know I want to bring you on, I want to get you involved in this. It's a it's a like a recovery convention, but it's also there's going to be like a private concert held at the end of it that's supposed to have a special guest artist. Don't know who it is. And then like a month beforehand, he was like, hey, so um, you're going to be on stage filming with Macklemore in September. Uh, how do you feel about that? And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, like I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of blown away. And like I have it's still unreleased right now. Um, I'm, I'm going to be releasing or I'm, I'm not going to be releasing it. So the, the 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 company that that I made the video for, they have to clear it with Macklemore's people on the use of his music. And then they're going to upload it. Hopefully um, it would be really tough to make a music promo video and not use the music of the guy that's heavily featured in the video. But I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, but once it is out there, like it's, it's going to be really cool to have a project out there that it's like, I did that and it looks like a fucking movie. And like, that was like, that was me. Like I did that shit. Like I'm, I'm definitely doing what I sought out to do. So like as impossible of an idea as going out and making a full length feature film in Hollywood is like it's still something that like I'm still gonna like shoot for because I have that passion for it, and whether I make it or not, it doesn't matter to me because I'm still getting to do what I love to do. And that's like the most important thing that a lot of people need to realize is that, you know, like you right now, you're chasing your dream, you're pursuing it, and you're still getting fulfillment out of it. Right? Yes. Yes, very much so. <laughs> so, I mean, that right there, I think I think some people will be pursuing a dream and not realizing that while they're pursuing this dream, they're doing it. It's like, is it is it exactly how they pictured it in their mind? Are they like, you know, a millionaire or whatever like that doing it? It's like, maybe not yet, but it's like, try and get some sort of fulfillment out of it while you're pursuing it. Because if in the course of pursuing it the entire time you're thinking, this isn't what I wanted it to be, I'm not getting where I, like, it comes back to that focusing on the negative, right? Exactly. And like that's exactly it. Because um, it's like, if like the one of the things about for me about like being negative is like, like, I know I'm doing what I set out to do, or I'm at least making headway, making strong headway on getting to where I want to be. So why, why, to, why stop to let the little things that are maybe irritating to me, hang me up and let me get frustrated over those when there's a lot I have around me to appreciate and move forward from because it's all like just this growing process. And 
it just I, I don't know that it, 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 it definitely helps to stay positive, especially when you're doing what you love to do, because like there's times that I've gone to people and I'm like, yeah, as a fucking bitch at work this week. And like I like I want to rant about it or something. I'm like, I look, I feel really shitty ranting to you. like like a good example is um, my girlfriend, uh, Brianna. She works in customer service at my company. And she just recently got transferred over to email. So now she's not talking on the phone with people, but she, she literally had just her, her job was just to shovel shit all day long. The people who are calling in most of the, I mean, any customer service person I think would agree with this, but most of the people who call into a company aren't calling in because they want to have a nice friendly conversation. No, (laughs) most of the time it's because they're pissed off and they want to bite somebody's head off. And that's, what customer service at our company that's basically what they're set up to do is like they're trained on how like they're, they're they, they go through a lot of um like uh it's like psyche training where it's like tr- basically training them on how to not let what these people on the phone are saying get to them but not letting it like not letting them just become numb to what everybody is saying to them, but just being able to understand that these people are upset with the company, not with you as a person, and that like you shouldn't let it get to you. So there's like a lot of things that they put in place to help with the the customer service people, but they're still just dealing with a shit job. So like when I come home from work, and I, and she's like, yeah, I had to deal with this, and I'm like, yeah, let me fucking tell you how my day went, and then I want to bitch about something. It's like I feel like I'm like I don't want to bitch because it's like. <laughs> My job is to go to work and make videos, which is exactly what I want to do. Like, <laughs> right? it's, it's more or less making movies. Like, I, it's, I, what am I got? What do I? What the fuck do I have to complain about? Like, and I often have to remind myself, like, I don't have anything to complain about because I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Like, I'm, I'm the most useful to anybody with a camera in my hands, and my job puts a camera in my hands. Yeah, it's perfect, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it works. Well, and, it, and, and also it's like if you have, you know, dreams of moving on, it's like it, it helps to get as much experience under your belt as possible. And, you know, so you're pursuing your dream. You're also getting experience and I don't know, it's a win win. And like you said, it, it, in the end, it just becomes a process of managing expectations and, and, and managing, you know, managing reactions really yeah that's very very true and like like it's all comes back to that kind of that circle of control like like what what can you control and what can you influence and what doesn't matter hmm. yeah, yeah dude i like it <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah yeah it's a, it's a, it's a i've got a i think i've got an interesting philosophy on life yeah no and i just i think it's really great that you're 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 able to do the thing that you want to do cuz like like with me the thing i want to do like I, I would love to make a living off being a writer, but you know, right now it's, that's, that's not it. And so it's like, I, I got to keep working a job and then pursue that writing dream, you know, in, in the, the time that I have left over. And so it's important for me for the job that I have to not destroy my mental health <laughs> because I need to be able to, to, you know, like not be completely stressed out, you know, when I get off work or, or, you know, I'll be, have it be the weekend. It's like time where I can write. I don't want to be in some sort of headspace where I'm worried about something going on at work. And so that's something that I've always kind of been careful with. Where yeah. It's like kind of being careful with jobs you take on and stuff like that. Cause it's like, you know, getting offered like a management like position or something like that. And it's like, well, 
It's like, I can see on the one hand how that might be like a good career move, but I, I don't think it would be good move personally because it's like, it's not, it's, I, I feel like it's not going to leave me enough like mental space to be able to chase the dream that I want to chase. And, and, right. that, and that's really where I'm getting like the sad, like I get satisfaction out of being good at my job and being well-regarded and stuff, but it's like, it's not, that's not what I hang my hat on. Like at the end of the day, I'm, I'm far more proud of the stuff that I've written than my, you know, very long career I've had at the job that I currently have. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of my, my good work record and stuff like that, but I'm far more proud of the fact that, you know, I've gotten one book published so far and I've, I'm made a very large amount of work on the next one. And like, that's the stuff that I'm most excited about. Yeah. See, and then it's, it's the passions that, that I think keep us sort of mentally there. Cause like, if you didn't have your passions and you just had to go to work and deal with the, some of them, cause like I, like the factory jobs that I had before this job that I have got now, like man, oh man, oh man, like talk about mind numbing. Like, and I have ADHD. So like my brain needs to be occupied. Like PCL was a godsend to me when I found that. Cause like working at working in a factory or no, the job that I had was, um, it was working at a auto auction and I thought it was going to be a good opportunity because it was a, it was taking pictures of cars for the auto auction. And I thought, great, a job being a photographer. And I showed up, got the job. And then they were like, here you go. Here's your camera. And they handed me a cell phone and I was like, what, oh what is God. this? And they were like, that's your, that's your camera. And I was like, this is a phone. And they were like, well, yeah, we need to be able to get a hold of you because like the lot that they had was it, the lot is big as fuck. When you're driving up to Milwaukee and you go through I-94, like it's big as fuck. Like you cannot miss it. Cause it's like three or four football fields of just cars and it's not Whoa. a junkyard. <laughs> like like they, they've got big, I, the, 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 the price I heard was that they spent $700,000 a year in electricity to light the place. Holy and shit. Yeah. So I had to walk around this lot finding cars, which needle in a haystack, let me tell you. And it was, and it was, didn't matter what the season was. It was all year long outside walking around with a cell phone, taking pictures of cars. And the reason why they had it on the cell phone is because their little app that I would take the pictures on, it would immediately upload into their system and they could immediately post the photos to where people were, were buying. And it was all a, it was all an operation to make money. So it wasn't an operation where I was like, oh, you get this opportunity to be a photographer and be creative. It wasn't <laughs> anything like that. It was just like, it was how many cars can you shoot in a day? Well, we're going to put you right here. Uh, yeah, that was another thing is after they had me stop looking for cars, then they put me outside of the, the wash bay and that sucked. Um, that's actually what got me fired, uh, was the wash bay because I, um, there were six lanes of cars and not all the lanes were open, but usually at least three were open. And if those guys were cleaning the cars fast, they were coming out fast and you'd, I need to take the same seven pictures of every single car. But when three cars come out together and I can only get two cars done before three car more cars come out. Then I have four cars. Then it just it, it slowly just would become insane. And there was one morning that I I wasn't uh, fully paying attention. I got into the car to pull forward, and I looked to, to my right, and I I saw my buddy Jake walking up, and I was like, oh hey, and I let off the brake, and one of the guys had come out of the the wash bay in another car. But instead of like 
instead of waiting to see if I was what I was doing, he just drove out and drove in front of me and it was sort of just a bad wrong place, wrong time. And I bumped the car he was in with the car I was in. And I, 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 I'll be, I'll be, I'm a pretty honest person. I like to indulge in things that are legal in certain parts of the country and illegal in other parts of the country. <laughs> if you, if you catch my drift, I got you. <laughs> so the, the, the drug test came and didn't obviously pass that. Um, so I ended up, ended up losing the job and, and, and it, it, it was pot, nothing major. No, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 I didn't nothing. figure you using code for meth or something like that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the listeners might think these days. You, have you met some people out there? People think crazy things. <laughs> this is like, true. They're, they're like, what are you, what are you smoking? You smoke crack? <laughs> I'm sure he's talking about angel dust. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually have a story about why I'm very open and accepting of of my my use of that. If if you if you wanted to hear it, but yeah, shoot. Um, I, well, what was I going on about first? Oh, <laughs> uh, you were talking about the job in the the auto shop or, or yeah. the the auction place, and you, you got fired. There was a yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the, yeah, that that was the job that I discovered PCL at, and that was like that sort of mind numbing thing where like. Like if it was slow, I had PCL to listen to. So that like kept me occupied while I would like in the wintertime, I would just find a car that had enough gas in it that I would start it up and let it warm up. And then I would just sit in the car for hours. <laughs> like if if, if, <laughs> if, it, if it was dead and I didn't have any to do, do anything, there were literal hours that I didn't wouldn't have anything to do. So I would just be hanging out in a car. And if a car would come out of the wash bay that I needed to take care of, I'd get out of the car, go take care of it and then go hop back in the car. Um, and that's where I spent a lot of time listening to PCL, but yeah, um, the, uh, the whole accepting of pot thing. So I, I basically come from a family of, of potheads. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't want to incriminate my whole family. It's not my whole family. There's just very prominent members of my family that like to indulge and, <laughs> uh, the, and like certain members like my mom, she chooses to just not involve herself in that. Like she works for a big life insurance company. So like that totally kind of makes sense and everything. But like, like me, I'm, I'm working for a company that like pretty sure the, pretty sure most of the people at my work, most of the people at my work are like, I'm 33 and the average age at my work is 26. So I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one doing it. <laughs> um, I gotcha. But I like I've always just been I like my dad. He was he like I know all of his pot dealing stories from when he was, you know, when when I was a really little kid and he was, you know, barely an adult uh, making questionable decisions. But like it, it was something that I always grew up around. So it was something that I knew not to be afraid of because like I learned from my family the difference between like what pot was and what actual drug use was. Cause like that, that gateway drug that they teach you, like, like, yeah, most people who use heavy drugs have that pot as a gateway drug, but like most people who use drugs are going to use those drugs regardless of whether or not they've smoked pot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, and my argument with that has always been like, well, do you think they probably tried like a beer or a sip of alcohol or a cigarette or something like that first? Right. Those, uh, it, you're just not going to lump those in as drugs. Those are also drugs. Yes. And it's also something that as a kid, you're told this is illicit. You can't do this. The same with drugs. But yeah, they want to yeah. demonize. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've always looked at marijuana as something that is 
almost completely benign, except for in the habits that it can form. Because I think it it can form habits in certain people where it'll absolutely turn them into people who are okay with just sitting around doing nothing all day. And then there's other people who are absolutely high functioning that can can get stoned and can get lots and lots of shit done. Like like I don't know, the That's first me. celebrity that comes to mind is like Kevin Smith. The guy's a huge yep. pothead. And he's also yes. insanely successful on multiple fronts. He's a, he's a mover and a shaker. He's always got things going on. It, it doesn't yeah. seem to to negatively affect him at all. Granted, you could say yoga hosers, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be fair. We can't blame him. You got to blame the internet. Wasn't it? Wasn't that one mostly the internet? Was, I mean, that the, was that the one beforehand? Tusk. That that was the one beforehand that that they came up with on Smodcast. Okay. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, I remember listening to that episode and just being like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I listened to the episode and then I went and saw the movie and I like I was I was just a big Kevin Smith fan. So I was like, this movie is fucking great. And guess what movie I've never watched since because it was fucking weird. <laughs> no, no. I heard it described on the podcast and everything. And I was like, no, no. Oh, it, it, it's like I, I love Kevin Smith, but I'm not just like a I'm not a. Like, a, oh, I love this director, so I'm going to watch everything they do type of person. I'm much more like story and plot driven. And so I need to kind of see a trailer for it. And if it feels like something I I dig, then, yeah, I'll be excited to go watch it. And so okay. Tusk fell in that that realm of, no, I'm not interested in seeing that. And then with Yoga Hosers, I was like, even less so. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah. when, he, when he did Reboot, I was like, I was so excited to that. And then that movie was like a love letter to the early view askew stuff. And there were so many Easter eggs and nods to it. Like that movie was just a lot of fun. Yes. Yes. But still absolutely no interest in watching Tusk or yoga hosers, or if he ever does moose jaws, even though moose jaws sounds hilarious. Yeah. yeah, Moose jaws does sound really funny. (laughs) Like that would, that with a moose. (laughs) Yeah. That one would be really, really funny. (laughs) Especially, especially cause like Kevin Smith has, He's got that like that creative tick, that ability to look at something and be able to turn it on its head, and like and it, and it's and in in his instance, it's very subtle. I feel like he like because he's very um, his movies are very just conversation driven, and that's where his subtleties lie is in the conversation, and that's where I think his genius kind of falls into play. But like like the the, the I I never actually watched Yoga Hosers. Um, I couldn't bring myself to uh to get to give that movie any kind of credit um but yeah like he's one of those dudes that like like i uh, a buddy of mine from milwaukee is uh my buddy andy he uh he shoots a lot for um have you ever heard of formula drift you had to have heard of formula drift no no, no? actually okay. i'm, I'm so, not super into car stuff though okay so formula drift is like it, it it's professional it's like nascar but drifting in the united states Um, there is like formula drift competitions that happen overseas in Japan and stuff. Um, but formula D formula drift that, that started in the United States, I believe. Um, and it's blown up into this huge kind of motorsport thing. And it's, it's, it's very under the radar motorsport racing. So like if anybody's ever heard of like, uh, IMSA races, IMSA, those are like where like the, the guys that drive the cars that, look like they're straight out of the future and they're all like built to slipstream and aerodynamics and everything. And like those cars are crazy. Um, but 
like like that that kind of races that kind of stuff it falls under the radar i think like like f1 races like people know what f1 is but f1 has a very very particular fan base or like i don't think like like the people who love nascar like nascar is like the nfl and like it's it's like the the biggest of all motorsports and like formula drift is still relatively small um but they they've got all in the world i exist in formula drift is huge um, Are they just like tracks with lots and lots of turns all over them that they got to drift all over the place on the or like, I guess, I guess how does it really work? So, OK, so um, like a, a good example would be like with with my buddy, he moved to Long Beach and they have uh, they have a track in Long Beach that it the track itself exists on normal roads. And it's like it's like right on like the ocean front. And there is a segment of the track that they close off. Uh, or they close off most of the track and then there's a segment of the track that they use for the drift event. And usually it, it consists of like some technical turns. It's it's a usually a course driven kind of thing. Like um, like where the they're not using the full racetrack, like the end of the year and the, the, the final drift event of the year for Formula D is always at Irwindale Speedway, um, which is a, an oval racetrack in uh, in northern Los Angeles. Um but they'll start on like the back stretch of the track and then they'll do a big swooping drift along like the the final couple turns in the track but then right before they get to the finish line they'll cut onto the infield and then they'll go through a couple other turns on the infield before they end the final course and a lot of it is how fast they're going through at how wide of an angle they're pushing and that's like the lead driver and then there's always a chase driver behind him and the chase driver is worried about his proximity and mimicking. So he wants to like follow the line of the lead driver to score as many points as possible and to score the most points. He wants to get as close as possible without touching the the other driver. Um, when they do touch, it's very exciting. Uh, it happened a couple times in a few events this year, specifically at long beach with a couple Mustangs. And it, it, when it happens, it's like, Oh shit. But like, the just the way everybody gets riled up about it and like i think the announcers bring a definitely an extra special thing like they're not they're not your typical nascar announcers like these guys are like getting rowdy and yelling and like screaming (laughs) and hyping up the they're hyping up the crowd that's there as well as hyping up you as a fan and like they they, the, the whole thing is just a really really amazing experience um and 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 i happen to be lucky enough that i have a friend who he goes out and he gets to shoot photos at formula drift events every year. Um, I have another buddy who we're buddies, but we're not like that great of friends. Um, but he actually gets to go there and film at the events, uh, like run cameras for formula drift and everything. Cause I know, I know they do online, like they'll stream stuff on, on lot like live onto YouTube. I don't know if they have, um, if they do anything with like ESPN or anything. Um, I think they might, they, they, I, I, I don't know. Um, but like those guys get to go out there and do that. But my buddy Andy, who does the photos, he actually, uh, a year and a half ago, I, sorry, these stories, like they, they go on a huge swoop before I bring it back. <laughs> no, um, dude, you do your thing, man. This is, this is a conversation show. Okay, <laughs> I'm <cool>. listening. <laughs> cool. Well, all right. So my buddy Andy, he, uh, he moved out to Long Beach, uh, like a year and a half ago. He lived out there for like six months while he was living out there. One of his, uh, one of his jobs that he had 
was to film a uh, it was like a it wasn't Kevin Smith's podcast, but it was a podcast or an interview of some kind that Kevin Smith was there, the one being interviewed. Nice. And so he got to he got to sit in the room with him for a couple hours, basically got to get to know him for a few hours. And he said that um, he sent me a picture, sent the, our group chat a picture. And he was like, so the Kevin Smith gave me this after uh, after our interview today, right before he left. And it was a, a pre-rolled joint from a dispensary. <laughs> nice. And, and it was he was like, here, man, take that on me. Like, just don't don't do it anywhere where you're going to get hurt. <laughs> I wouldn't even want to smoke it. I'd want to get a little plaque made. Yeah, I'd, I'd get like a little glass jar. Right? Yeah, like, like right hang on my wall. Like, like this yeah, is like, this spliff was gifted to me by Kevin Smith. Like, yeah, I'm see, not going to smoke this. <laughs> this yeah, is a story. That? This is a conversation piece. <laughs> see that doobie nodding up there? That was Kevin Smith's doobie. <laughs> if you're in an illegal state and your house gets busted. <laughs> oh, like, my God. Like, What's this on the wall? <laughs> like, that was gifted to me by Kevin Smith. Don't you dare impound that, you motherfucker. <laughs> See, I, that, that, is, that I, is a pop culture piece. <laughs> I feel like that wouldn't be enough. I, I feel like I feel like cops would like in in the state that I live in. You have to for it to be illegal to be in possession of weed. It's um, like anything under twenty eight grams, which is an ounce, is uh, considered a misdemeanor. Um, so you can get like a small fine. Um, whereas, like, if you used to get caught with like. A couple grams, they'd give you a big fine. Um, but I would say, like, I would say a joint would be no more than a the no more than a gram and a half. And I would say that there was there's no way they might confiscate it, uh, but I wouldn't think that they would get you in trouble for it because, like, like I've had cops be like, well, like I got caught once. Uh, a cop pulled me over, and then they were like, we want to search your car, and I was like, for fucking what? Like, what did I do? They were like, well, we can either get the dogs or you can just let us do this. And I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> I got 99 car. problems, but a bitch ain't one. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the, but I let the cops search my car and then like, I'm thinking I'm, I did it with all the confidence in the world. Cause I was like, there is not, <laughs> you, a you really did think car. a bitch wasn't one. <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, there's nothing in my fucking car. And it, it, this is actually a really funny story. So the cop comes walking out and they're like, so what's this? And the bag that they flip out. So it was a bag of weed and it was bad weed that my dad gave me because there were like I, I couldn't find anything. And I went to my dad and I was like, Dad, you got any pot that I can buy off you? And he was like, I got this crappy brick weed that I could sell you. And so <laughs> I bought a little bit swag. off of it. Was, it, yeah, it was. It was bad. It was re- it was it was some some DTB, some downtown brown. Uh, but he he so he gave it to me and he was like, I don't have any regular sandwich baggies. So here's this bag that I would normally use to ship stuff for eBay and it was like a five gallon bag <laughs> and I had like a dime bag of weed in and I, I, I there was maybe like a bowl or two left at this point by the time the cop found it but the cop was like what's this I thought you said you didn't have anything and whipped out this bag and I just went and started laughing at the cop because I thought it was funny because like it was a gigantic bag with a little tiny bud. It was of a weed comically large bag. <laughs> yeah, like a comically large, like like obnoxious, like like Dumb and Dumber, like the Dumb and Dumber hat, the big hat that he wears, <laughs> hat, like comically big, like that, like like and the, the way they flipped it out and it just sort of like unrolled itself all the way down and I was just like Jesus Christ, like that was too funny. And, they, and like but the they were like of Colorado. <laughs> Yeah, they were like, "Is this yours?" And I'm like, "It's in my car." So yeah, I get like, "Are you you gonna take me to jail?" It's a fucking 
it's a piece of weed. Like what they were like, well, it's not enough that we can charge you with. So we're going to do this with it. And they, they unzipped the bag and held the bag upside down and shook the bag comically until the little tiny bud finally made its way out of the ground. And then they <laughs> did a little, little cigarette put out thing on the piece of weed. And I was just like, I don't care. I clearly didn't even know it was in my car. <laughs> you could smoke it if you want it. Like I don't need it. <laughs> I ha- I probably had a fresh batch at home. <laughs> the world's safer now. Well done. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like I did. You haven't. It's it's crazy to me the, the friends that I've made along the years and the things that they've gone and done as long as well with the things that I've gotten to go do. Because like like it, it, to me, it's like it's like if you knew a guy that was like, yeah, I'm like a pit crew chief for like nascar or like a nascar driver like because like i i reflect reflect on nascar a lot because my dad was a big into nascar as a as a kid growing up um he wasn't like super big on cars he just liked watching racing and falling asleep <laughs> to the hum of nascar <laughs> but like it's one of like, those things that i was never able to get into yeah like same same here say so, like that's why like we're like for for me like i i can't drag racing cool it's 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 over and done in the blink of an eye. Uh, yeah, I went but, to Cordova once. I thought that was really cool. Well, that that would that would sound that that does sound really cool. They had cars with jet engines strapped on them too. Ooh, that was fucking wild, dude. Yeah, yeah. They, there's a, a drag strip um, that, that was like a half hour south of Milwaukee that they used to bring the jet car out, and that car would run like a four and a half second quarter mile, and we were like, holy shit, every time. And it was funny because like when they would bring it out because of the heat that cause it's a literal jet engine. So the heat that would come off the back of it, they'd basically have to clear out the entire area uh, yeah. before they could bring the car out and run it. Because like if where they would normally, the way they would stage cars, like the cars are still a hundred yards back, but like they were still worried that the jet engine was going to melt the bumpers. So they would just move everybody's car out of the way so they could run this jet car. And those are insane to me. It's like, I, it, it's like F1 cars or in Formula One cars, those Indy cars, the way watching like in car views of those guys drive is insane. I do a lot of um, like uh, online simulation racing on uh, Gran Turismo. And so like I, I get to watch a lot of uh, F1 drivers actually drive in that game. And the way oh, those guys cool. drive around that track is in Sane. Like I, I'm like I don't know how you could compute with that. I don't know how your body can handle that because like, like when you're do- racing in a sim, you're just sitting there in a chair and you got just a steering wheel and ga- a gas pedal, and like the steering wheel has you know feedback to it. The the throttle and the gas pedal have some well not so much the throttle but the gas or the the brake does have uh, feedback to it and like so it sort of gives you the feel of really driving, but you can still physically feel that your body is not moving. You're not. You don't have any sense of speed at where the car is at other than what the game can like invoke to you. Mm-hmm. And um, the, watching these F1 drivers do it, it's like they're doing this in a sim rig and they're putting down like perfect lap times and they're they're just going hard. But imagine that with adding all the G-forces of – accelerating to 200 miles an hour and then back down to 80 to make a turn and then back up to 200 miles an hour and then going around a turn at 190 and like the (laughs) the g-forces that your body feels during that i 
I've never experienced. I can't imagine what that feels like. Well, imagine uh, the mental stress on that too. When you're in that real situation, I know whenever I've been in any situation that is inherently dangerous, like it's, it's very different doing than the real thing versus doing the training for it. Even though, you know, physically muscle memory wise, you're doing everything the same when you're actually in that scenario that it's dangerous. It's, it's different. You know, it, it requires a certain level of mental armor to be able to do it. And I oh, can't yeah. even imagine getting in a car and doing 200 miles an hour. That'd be, yeah. it'd be ex- both exhilarating and fucking terrifying. There's uh there's this kid from the Netherlands who won the, the formula one grand prix this year, like the major championship. His name is uh, Max Verstappen. He's kind of an asshole, but he's super young. He was, he was winning. He, his like, the year he turned 18, he won six Formula One races in a single year. And I watch him drive a lot. And that dude is just ballsy. Like, not just in a sim rig, but it, like on a track, just ballsy as hell. Like, he goes into, he breaks late going into turns. He, like, forces his way, just elbows out into situations where it's like, he was, he's just a very aggressive driver, but like the things I've seen this guy do is just like, it, 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 it blows me away. Cause I, I, I feel confident behind the wheel of a car. I don't feel as confident as he does behind the wheel of a car. Like, <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't, I don't get how those guys can do it. Cause it's it like the muscle memory that you're talking about. And then the, 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 the ability to react the way that they're reacting. I mean, they're basically like, you can't have any kind of claustrophobia. Like you're sitting in basically like a cone that's not much bigger than you. And like you're the, the way they sit you in an indie car is your, your feet actually sit up to where like your, your feet and your, your feet and your hands are like at the same level. Like, so your ass is the lowest part in the car and your feet are up high and you're just kind of tucked into this little like, this little cockpit that you can't really move around in. And then you got your steering wheel that has like all the different control. I got to see a steering wheel for a car this year and they were like, yeah, you can hold this, but please don't drop it because it's very expensive. Come to find out there's $300,000, 300 K. Yeah. For a steering wheel. (laughs) Um, and, but for just the fucking steering, what makes the steering wheel so special that it's 300 K. So they can basically, they have, they have full control over the car, like in terms of like power and how like the aerodynamics work. They can, they can make it basically for more grip or more top speed. Um, they have the ability to change that like on cue within the, the for right there from the cockpit. And then so there's are there like um, buttons in like the center of the steering wheel. There's so there's usually what it is, is it doesn't look like a normal steering wheel. It's like a, it's like a brick or like a tablet. And on each side of it is like a pistol grip where it's got like a hole for you to kind of stick your thumb in and then you kind of just grip it. And then there's this center kind of block and you can pull your thumbs out of the holes and hit buttons that are in reach of your thumbs. And then in the center of the steering wheel is like, usually it's a screen or a digital readout and the digital readout will show you, um, the way they on a lot of these bigger tracks, they'll record lap times and the way that when they do lap times, they'll do it by sector. So like they'll cut the, the track up into four different sectors and you get your times fed to you on your steering wheel, like how fast you are in each sector. So you can be real time monitoring how fast your lap times are. So like, you know, that if 
the the previous lap you had a 19 second run through sector one and then the second lap you had a 21 second run through sector one you know that you know where you could maybe made a mistake and it helps you learn the track and where to adjust and where to kind of where to pick up speed and where you're falling behind um but all of that stuff is all integrated into this fucking steering wheel for the driver and like that's formula one Formula One does it. Uh, the IMSA races do, do it. So like uh, the, the 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 futuristic Le Mans cars have it. Um, a lot of those higher end futuristic cars are are what comes with it. Even um, there's, oh, I just uh, googled it. Yeah, dude, it does. It looks like a fucking video game controller. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I the um, me and that my girlfriend Brianna, we got to hold them this year. Yeah, it's it, doesn't it look insane? It looks like it, so fucking crazy. It looks like a high tech video game controller, dude. Yeah, like, like like you look like you're about to go hop into like a NASA space shuttle and you like hook it up, and, take <laughs> and then off that and go thing somewhere. like turns like an actual fucking steering wheel, also, and it's got yes. all that other shit going. Wow, dude, that is fucking weird. Yeah, and then like on the and then another thing to consider is like on the that on the front side of it you have all that, and then on the back side of it. I'm not in I'm not fully sure what all the paddles do, but usually there's four paddles and two of them are for shifting up and shifting down. I'm not sure what the other two are for. I haven't read enough into it to figure it out. But wow. like there's so much going on with the hands there. Like that's why it's like crazy to me to watch these drivers do this. Cause like when you're driving and you're shifting up and shifting down, you have to be conscious of like like when you're driving and you're racing, you're supposed to keep your hands on equal sides of the steering wheel and you shouldn't take you shouldn't drive with one hand when you're racing. You should drive with both hands um, and you should just maintain your hand position and try to not like I will basically turn the steering wheel 180 degrees before I take my like if I'm turning left, I'll turn the steering wheel 180 degrees before I pull my right hand off to grab a different part of the steering wheel if I need to go beyond that. Usually you don't have to go beyond that 180 degrees with most racetracks, um, but that's just sort of that point. But when you are when you have paddle shifters and you turn the steering wheel like that and your hands change sides, it like you have to be consciously thinking about the fact that like, all right, if I have to shift up or down through this turn with these paddles, where my hand position is going to be and not do it with like, like thinking that your hand is in the wrong spot because your hands are flipped around. Like exactly, if if you've ever driven a car with paddle shifters and tried to do like I've 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 gotten the opportunity with my dad. He had a car that had paddle shifters, and I did a little autocross thing with it once. And like it it just gets really weird once you start getting into that like 180 degree turning cycle where like when you're turning and you're, you're trying to upshift or downshift and you got to pay attention to which one is which. Like it might fuck you up because like. But these guys are these guys with the their steering wheels. They don't go more than like ninety degrees because it's like a ninety degree. Turn them turning the steering wheel ninety degrees for them is like doing a hairpin turn. Um, I figured that those, that'd be the case with those cars. Yeah, the steering racks, the way they're built is is they're built shorter and they they they, they take less to turn and do a full turn. There's a, a lot of sports cars have that feature, um, and a lot of sports cars also have terrible steering radiuses if they're all wheel drive. Uh I don't know why that why that's the case, but that's just how it is. Uh, the uh, I, I'm sorry, that was a really weird random fact that popped into my head. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> no, I'm into it, dude. I've right now I've got a 2017 Ford Focus or Focus, a Ford Fusion, 
and I fucking love it, dude. It's it doesn't have like the sport package on it, but it has the the four cylinder with the turbocharger. Ooh, yeah, those and, are nice. Yeah, and it's all wheel drive, and dude, that thing is fucking great. I've I've driven it all over the place. Um, uh, what was it last? I think it was maybe this year. Yeah, I think it was earlier this year. We took it to to Colorado, and okay. so we drove it. I drove it as as far up Pikes Peak Highway as I could. Oh, that's awesome! And dude, that was that was the most focused, intently focused I've ever been on the road driving before. And like my palms were sweaty the whole fucking time. Like my felt like my heart rate was elevated the entire time. It was right, fucking and, freaky, dude. And every year they have the the Pikes Peak. I don't know how time. they fucking do yeah. that. I don't know how those people race up and down that fucking mountain. Because, dude, I was. We got up high enough to where there was, you know, we, we basically got shut down because of the snowpack. Okay. And so, you know, the snow was, there was areas like, especially when you were going through those, like, those sharp, you know, switchbacks and stuff like that. Right. Where the snow, you know, it's just drop off on one side and then, you know, 20 foot snow wall on the other. And so in the places where the sun was hitting it and then it was melting down and so the entire roadway was wet. I was oh. fucking terrified, dude. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, how how cold does it have to get before this fucking water turns to ice? And, and like, I was, oh God, I've never been so fucking freaked out driving, but man, that car handled fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Pikes Peak is a, that's a challenging one. That's a, that's one that I actually haven't gotten to experience yet in person. I've done a lot of mountain driving, but I've just never never found myself in that area of Colorado at the, at the right point in time to go do the drive. Um, but I've seen it a lot and I've had like, um, every year I always follow the Pikes Peak hill climb. So I'm always like focused on that every year. And there's a lot of photographers that go up there and every time, like just cause of the time of year that it is in the morning, they'll post a picture of like a, a just a post that there's that are nearby and you can just see the icicles coming off horizontally like they're just straight horizontal pointed whatever direction the wind is coming <laughs> yeah. from dude and it was they, windy they, as shit up there it was yeah. unbelievable yeah it gets crazy and these guys go and they just rip up that mountain um i got a video that i'm actually gonna send you that you can check out after uh, after all this it's like a 10 minute long video um of a guy with a 1400 horsepower ford mustang ripping up that and oh my god there's a there's a a spot in the video that you got to pay attention to where he like he they 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 show it a lot in like slow motion and everything during the video but there's a point where he comes around a turn and like back tire goes right to the edge of the road and like the cliff and he just sets it down into the dirt just enough to send a, like a big rooster tail of dirt off the cliff and uh they had a camera set up on a, like a pile of rocks he knocked that all over and everything and um that turn specifically, I, I don't know what year it was. It was sometime in the last, I think, 10, 12, 10 or 12 years. Um, that specific turn, there was a guy in um, – he was, was he was driving specifically a, a, a Lancer uh, – it was a Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution, um, which is like a four-wheel drive rally car. It's got about 300 horsepower and it's a turbocharged four-cylinder. And the guy, full full race car, so it's got a roll cage and everything. Well, he misjudged the entry to that turn and came out going too fast and went right off that edge. And he probably oh, – no. 
yeah, he probably he sent the car. I think it was somewhere between fifty and one hundred and twenty five feet, and the car kind of did a little bit of a turn, it landed and just barrel rolled, and just it ripped the whole car apart. But the roll cage kept the guy alive. Like the guy survived the crash. Holy um, shit! Just because of the roll cage, but like the 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 car tumbled down a rock hill and just got ripped to shreds. Like it was kind of scary and very eye opening to to see something like that. But it was during one of the Pikes Peak hill climbs and like they were it was just a normal thing and it was just an accident that happened. And that crash itself set a lot of new regulations for like the hill climbing, especially at the Pikes Peak location because of how just treacherous that turn is because you're coming up on a on a blind corner and all you can see is you got a little bit of mountain on the side of you. You got the the really narrow lane that's next to you, the really narrow lane that you're in, and it it's kind of a up a hill and swoops to the left. So you're just kind of looking out at sky, and like these guys just kind of have to trust what they're doing and make sure that they do it right when they're racing through there to maintain speed. And this guy just misjudged and tried to maintain speed and sent it right off the edge and. He's lucky to be able to walk away from that kind of no thing. No shit, dude. Oh, my God. I, like, felt that in my guts when you were yeah, describing that, that turn. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sending you that video um, but because, uh, like, that that it's, it's not the most comfortable thing to watch. Like, it's definitely gut-wrenching. It's not the most horrible thing that you could ever see. It's funny that I, I just sent you the link now on Messenger, and you can actually see – the uh, the thumbnail for the video is the shot of him sending the rooster tail off the side of that cliff, and you can just see like the fall off of it. Like it's like a forty five, more than a forty five degree incline there. I would say, well, maybe oh like forty five. That's horrible. But yeah, just send a car off that at ninety miles an hour. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I and I apology. I want to apologize to anybody that I've like pissed off by talking about things on a visual point that they can't go and look at or that they have to stop the podcast <laughs> to go and look at. <laughs> it's 2020. It's almost 2022. If they don't know how to simultaneously listen to a podcast and Google something, then that's true. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it, hey, it, it can be tough. It can be tough to, to multitask. There's been times where I've been balls deep in a in a search on on google trying to do a podcast and they're like steve and i'm like hang on i'm trying to find something they're like, all right well this is just a bunch of dead space i'm like it's all right i'll fucking cut it out <laughs> that's where you need the dude in the chair position <laughs> yes yes i i never had that <laughs> no <laughs> speaking of the dude in the chair did you happen to see the the spider-man no way home yet uh i'm actually uh going to go see it tomorrow night oh, nice uh, me and Brianna, we're we're we've got to go do some family things for Christmas um, tomorrow, and the, so that's going to take us down to Milwaukee. And me and her met at uh, and we met at a movie theater. Um, it's called the Marcus Majestic. I got a little funny side story about that in a second, um, but it's called the Marcus Majestic, and it's it's like one of the bigger movie theaters in Southeast Wisconsin, and they have uh, what's called a bistro theater. So it's I'm, I'm sure you've maybe probably heard of it before. There's a lot of theaters that are doing it now, where they you come in and you have a, a dine in in the movie theater experience, where you can order from like a full course menu, you can order you know any burger, pizza, like some people order some extremely lavish things like they have a lot like i've had fried calamari at oh, uh at, at movie theater at a movie theater before but um 
it's it's you you go in, you sit down at a table, and then you have a pager at your table. You hit the pager, and there's a server that's going to come up to you and take your order. And then while the movie is going on, or as the movie is like starting, if you get there early enough, they they bring your food out to you, and you get to enjoy your food and have dinner and a movie without having to go and do any of it yourself because it's all just a restaurant in there. And me and Brianna, we we met working at that theater and we actually worked in the bistros together for uh, the like the last year or so that we worked there. And so tomorrow night, we haven't been to this movie theater in, I would say, two, three years because of living up here. And tomorrow night, we're going to go see No Way Home in a bistro theater and have dinner and a movie. Oh, that's awesome, dude. You guys yeah, are going to so love so, it. I am super excited for it. I I I I know. I, I, I know, but I haven't had it spoiled. I know. I won't spoil anything about it. I will just say that it is, I loved it, and it's my favorite live-action Spider-Man movie, like, easily my favorite. Yeah, see, and, like, like that, that means, a f- that means, like, a lot of joy and excitement for me, because, like, obviously, I, like, I was, you know, of the ripe, ripe, you know, young teenage age when, when the first Spider-Man came out with Tommy McGuire in 02 and then like he kind of had that mantle and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't big on Garfield's Spider-Man and I'm like Tom Holland. He's been, he's been good. I, I enjoy his version of Peter Parker, although he, I, I like Tobey Maguire, even even though the guy's kind of a douchebag in person. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> fame does something to you, I guess. So I'm not going to fault the guy for it, but I, I don't know him personally, so I can't fault him for it. But that's just what I've heard. Um, but I still like his Spider-Man the most. But like growing up on that and like sort of just like the culmination of how like all the rumors and everything, like I'm just looking forward to just like it seems like the 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 fulfillment is there and that's what i'm excited for is the fulfillment oh yeah and, and i know it's it's hard to rebuttal <laughs> that without spoiling it I bet. No, no, I'll, I'll just say that the, you're gonna you're gonna like it yeah Good. i i have a very if, if you don't i'll be shocked <laughs> well i mean i've i've been pretty harsh on marvel movies not of recent years but i i've been pretty harsh on marvel movies like throughout the years like i I, for a long time, did not like the original Avengers movie because because of the hype behind it. Like I had I had ran into a buddy of mine at a gas station and he was like, dude, you got to go see the Avengers. Best fucking movie I've ever seen in my life. Hands down. Swear to God. And like I'm a big movie buff at the time. So I'm like, no shit, huh? That good. Went and saw it. And I was. I felt like I was didn't get exactly what I was promised by that specific dude. So like it sort of sent me on this like fuck Marvel like and it wasn't like a <laughs> it wasn't like a woo go DC cuz you're doing so much better like at the time like they had the Dark Knight. I'm a big Dark Knight fan. Yeah, I Dark Knight's like Man fun. of Steel. Dark Knight's really really good. I I enjoy the fuck out of that movie. You can't trust somebody who doesn't at least enjoy it a little bit. Right. It has just, so many brilliant scenes in it, brilliant performances. Um, yeah, the movie's fucking great. Yeah, it's a superhero movie made by like a guy who I would define as like an artistic filmmaker. Yes, very much so. So like it, it has that that natural like allure, especially for me to it because I like artsy movies. Well, um, and, and if someone comes up to you and says, oh, this is the best movie ever, you're going to go into that with a certain expectation. Whereas 
I don't, you know, I don't know this guy was saying it, but if, if he's not the same sort of, if he doesn't look at film the same way you do, then he's saying it's maybe a perfect movie because, you know, oh, is it action. It, it, it tied in these other movies that led up to it really well. I mean, there's lots of great movies. I think there's lots of great reasons to say Avengers is a really, really great movie, but to yes. say it to somebody who like really takes cinema seriously, they might be like, oh, I beg to differ. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're looking at it from different, you, you, you want, you're wanting to check different boxes that might not even be on somebody else's list. Right. And that, I mean, that, that, that is true there. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I'd say I got a little bit more movie snobby after that. Uh, especially with my my like fuck Marvel kind of bandwagon that I was on, um, <laughs> and I got a little bit snobby after that when it came to like my feelings about movies, and I've really tried to like tone back the snobbery a lot on like just my opinions of that and everything, and just making sure that I'm giving everybody an opportunity to you know. I I realized that letting my friends make sure that their opinions were validated or at least felt like they mattered rather than just dismissing them and being like, no, you're wrong. It's not a good movie. It sucks. Um, but like at, at the time it was like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I wasn't, I don't think I would consider myself like a, like a, I'm going in as like a cinephile and this movie is like an atrocity to cinema because of the green screen and it's not true cinema because it's fake. Like there was none of that going into it. It was just like I was expecting like I was expecting the greatest action movie I'd ever seen. And I just I I felt like at the time I don't think I had gotten it. Um, But like I've I've come around over the years Uh, like I I was I was jumping out of my fucking seat, punching the air during Endgame in front of my mom. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so like, I've I've definitely come around. Um, <laughs> so they got you then. <laughs> yeah, they, they they by Endgame. Oh yeah, they had me. They, they 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 didn't have me for even Civil War though. Like they didn't start to reel me in until like Guardians of the Galaxy came out, and then like Civil War came out, and I I still I don't think really like Civil War that much. Like, I know it's like a like a big deal in like the comic book, but like, I don't know. I I guess I just I didn't care. (laughs) Like, I was just like, why can't you guys just make up or something? I don't don't know. I I wanted I think what I expected from Marvel at the time when that movie came out was I wanted them to pull the trigger on Steve Rogers, even though like what we got was way better. But I still like I wanted to see that like. I wanted to be like like Marvel grow a pair kill a character that matters, <laughs> and and that was like kind of where I was at at the time, and like I've, I I don't know I think that's like the only one that I really kind of don't vibe with anymore because like I just never could and I've tried to go back and watch it I've tried to get my I've tried to get Brianna watch it because she's on the same wavelength as me and she's like no I don't like it I'm not gonna watch it I I've tried we tried a couple times and I just don't like it even though I can't get her to fucking watch Tenant a second time <laughs> <laughs> that one's still on my list I haven't gotten to Tenant yet it it definitely for me Tenant was like a needed a second viewing and I still haven't gotten that full second viewing because it's hard to sit down and watch a movie that length having a like me and she's like my best friend so me and her spend a lot of time together this is one of the few occasions where she's like out hanging out with friends doing she's getting her hair done and uh so i i don't often end up with the opportunity where i'm like yeah i can watch a movie that like like she doesn't have any input on so i can just put this movie on and tenant's one of those movies where it's like i really need to have a couple hours by myself to just be able to just chill out and watch it and i do need to watch it again but it's 
I, I don't know. Like, I got the story. Like, I know what's going on in the story. Like, the beginning and the end. Like, the, 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 like where I was at in the beginning to where I was at in the end. Like, I, I get the story from beginning to end. But, like, there's a, so much weird shit that happens in the middle of the movie that, like, I would like to piece the overall arc together and not just connect the beginning to end dot. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, because kind of what I know about Tenet is that it's it it I don't know just from the trailers it seemed wild, like like there's like shit with like time moving backwards and stuff like that or something or, I don't know, it's it seems pretty wild and knowing that it's Christopher Nolan, like you know it's one that I definitely want to watch sometime. But for me, it just comes down to an issue of time, you know. It's like there's so much great content out there, and when do you have the time to watch it all? And so for me, it comes an issue of kind of prioritizing it. And also for me, it's like, I, I love my comfort food stuff. So sometimes, even though I have limited time, I'll put something on that it's like, you know, I could be spending this time watching something new, crossing something off my list of movies right. <laughs> that I want to watch. But instead, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just watching YouTube videos that are you know highlights of a podcast or something <laughs> like that, that I've already listened to a bunch of times or, yeah. or, you know, watching some like, uh, stand-up comedy special off netflix for like the umpteenth time or yeah so the, the best way i like it because there were a couple of people that were like yeah i couldn't i went and saw a tenant but i couldn't tell you what the fuck it was about <laughs> and I, like and, and really like it's it's just a kind of it grounded like time travel as like a realistic thing is okay. basically what it did like it, it sort of like it did it without doing the back to the future thing where where you start at one point, you end up at another point, and it's a different point in time, and everything you know, everything that's going on, and blah 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 blah. Like, no, it's a, it's a, it's a movie that deals with like a technology to travel back in time with, but the catch is is that like you you're still in like people can still run into you in like the normal flow of things, but you're moving backwards to them, and then then like they're moving backwards to you. So like Weird. that's where like the disconnect happens and then like it starts to like be, like most Christopher Christopher eh, Christopher Nolan movies like the you've got those two threads of like what two different timelines like this timeline and the 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 time travel timeline and then as the movie goes on it they just start kind of threading around each other and just bringing the story together and it for me it was the first Nolan movie that I've seen since I don't even want to say Inception because like Inception had like a very like you're either one or the other kind of thought process on the ending where like (laughs) I feel like I feel like Tenant was like probably the especially the ending probably came back most to how I felt about the ending of Memento. Hmm. See, that's another one. I don't think I've seen Memento, but it's another Mm -hmm. one that I've heard is excellent. Yeah, Memento is really, really good. That one also that that one I guess you could say deals with time travel in a way, but not really. It just deals with telling you the story from two different perspectives at two different points in time. Oh, so okay. it's just it's just a, a non-linear storytelling way to tell the story, and like the way the story kind of it it the Memento is like a story where it like it starts at the beginning and at the end, but it ends in the middle, <laughs> and when it ends in the middle, it makes sense. Like, 
<laughs> that sounds like a Tarantino movie. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 super wild. It's super wild. It's like kind of it like it it'll blow your mind a little bit. But just like the the overall arc of like the guy trying to like it's just a guy trying to solve a mystery. Like and like in the in the end, you get to kind of figure out what the mystery is, and like it's kind of cool, like how it's sort of there like it, it, you didn't realize it was there but it's there and like when you figure out the ending you're just like holy fuck but like it's still a very ambiguous ending that could be interpreted in a lot of different ways i think where <laughs> i i feel like tenant has that like i have i have my one definitive way that i see that ending and i don't see how it could have been like yeah is it this or is it that i think it's this i think no this is what the story was and like that's my like how I took it. Whereas like somebody else could be like, no, I saw it as this. And that's, I feel like tenant was like a kind of a return to form for Nolan, even though the movie may not have performed as good as some of his recent movies. Like I think Dunkirk is amazing. Another one I haven't seen. Oh my God. That one. (laughs) So war movies have not been good since saving private Ryan. (laughs) That one was fantastic. Yeah. Saving private Ryan. I mean, I shouldn't say that because there are good war movies out there that have come out since Saving Private Ryan. But I think Saving Private Ryan did it best. And I don't think that anybody has been able to match that level of intensity or realism for a war movie um, or or just giving it a different spin where Dunkirk gives a war movie a completely different spin. It gives it the Nolan spin. Hmm. Dude, I got lost down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos earlier where – you know the, that that uh, type of video where it's like an expert in a given like subject, like watching movies on that subject and kind of like commenting and rating. I just watched the space one the other day with the guy with the guy talking <laughs> about all the different space movies. <laughs> so I was watching ones earlier where it was Jocko Willink that was and he's like a former uh, Navy SEAL. OK. And he's like watching all these different war movies. And there was like three different three different ones so i mean it's close to an hour of content you can watch and it was really great watching him break down a lot of these things oh and then after that i started watching ones where it was um like experts in like um you know ancient history like watching movies depicting battles in ancient history and stuff and kind of critiquing it on that and it was a very very awesome very entertaining rabbit hole to go down hell yeah yeah (laughs) we just said the thing about the war movies though it made me think of that yeah, like, it, yeah, like, I, it just, those videos are super interesting on YouTube. I, uh, like I said, I just watched the one recently about the space guy, or the, there was a, a guy who was a, a pilot for NASA. He commanded the, the International Space Station a couple, or at least once. Um, but he, uh, he's like a big physics expert. And so he came in and he was talking about movies like, uh, he talked about first, even movies as new as like First Man and The Martian and Ad Astra. And uh, and then broke down like gravity and uh, and interstellar and uh, just a lot of different space movies. It nice. seemed I'll have to it look seemed, that one up. Yeah, it, it was it was a super good watch. It was a super good watch. He uh, it, it sucks, though, because it's like interstellar. Not to sit here and suck on Chris Nolan's toes, but like he like the, the interstellar was it, it's a very important movie to me. It was uh, inadvertently. My first date with Brianna, um, we went to go see it at the uh, the um, the IMAX theater at Navy Pier in Chicago. And as we were walking into the movie theater to see it, walking out came Jonathan Nolan. No shit. 
Yeah. So like he was in there seeing the movie for the first time as a screening and he hadn't seen it prior to, to, uh, to that. So it was his first time seeing it in the showing right before I got to go see it. And like, I remember we were waiting in line and the way, the reason I knew it was him, um, cause like Jonathan, John Nolan's not a, he's not a super recognizable dude unless you are really a buff about the Nolans. Um, I was standing there in line, me and Brianna were the first ones in line and one of the concession stand workers comes over to like the back closet and she's like, Hey, I need your help. Once this show lets out, the director's brother is in there. It's his first time seeing the show and he, his jacket is hanging right here on this hook. Can you make sure that when the showing lets out, you're standing out there with his coat so that way he can give it to him. He's a really, really tall guy with blue eyes. And, uh, and so like, I just was like, all right, looking for a tall guy with blue eyes. I saw him walking out. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I don't know why, but I was just like, whoa, this is cool. And I was like, like that was sort of what started mine and Brianna's relationship where we eventually ended up starting to date because me and her were friends prior to that. And, uh, and I was supposed to go see that movie with another girl and that other girl bailed on me last minute. And Brianna was always kind of like, she was just somebody that I would just chat with a lot. And I was like, if you want to, you want to hang out and go see this movie with me? Like go drive around to Chicago. And she was like, fuck yeah. So like we consider that our first date, even though we didn't start dating until like a year or so later. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like the guy, the guy in the the space video on YouTube, he just completely shit on interstellar. Like he, he shit on it, but also gave it credit because they apparently to get the lighting right in the movie for like the way the light would look on Matthew McConaughey in the movie. Um, they used a photo of him in the international space station to like make sure that they created the lighting accurately to how like the light would look on a human being in a space shuttle that the light coming off the planet. And, uh, and he was like, they did a really good job of that. And then they, he kind of shit on some of the other things cause they do some questionable things in interstellar, but like, uh, gravity was one that I, I didn't realize he was going to crap all over of it. And he, and he really did. <laughs> Yeah, that's always too bad when you listen to something somebody's poo-pooing it, and you're like, but I like that. <laughs> well, to to bring it back to the Armageddon thing, he also took a pot, he took a fat steaming shit on that. He was like, I couldn't oh, even finish this movie. <laughs> no, th- th- there's nothing right in, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that, is, that thing, is not how you would handle an incoming asteroid. <laughs> yeah, the, the the thing that, I that didn't even piss him off. The thing that pissed him off the most was, was the fact that they, the way that the the spaceships landed on the asteroid on how they like in space, there's no airflow and they still like they come down and land like a plane where they like tilt back and kind of set the rear wheels down first. Like they wouldn't have been able to do that in space because there's no airflow. So he's like, how are they doing that? That doesn't make sense. Why are there jet thrusters on? Why are they accelerating? <laughs> And I was just like, man, this I, I couldn't be friends with that guy. Like I could watch a half hour video of him shitting on some movies, but I couldn't be friends with him because anything space related, he just ruined for me. God, speaking of movies, are you excited about Matrix Resurrections next week? I want to be, but I'm also nervous because it looks like John Wick 5. <laughs> I, I'm just being honest. It kind of looks a little too John Wicky, and like the the Wachowskis. It, it's just the one. It's the, the the two didn't come back. It's just um, Lana. Yeah, it's just Lana. So it, I'm not sure on how I feel on her 
sequel ability. Well, dude, Reloaded and Revolutions were uh, outside of a handful of like individual scenes. They were not good. No, no, they weren't. I mean, they they were kind of shitty enough that it it, it almost killed my stoke for the franchise. Because I remember when that first one came out. I was so head over heels about it when the Animatrix came out. I got that, and I and I for the most part, I really loved a lot of those stories, and so I had really high hopes for Reloaded, and I liked a lot of Reloaded, but there was some choices in it I didn't like. I didn't like them bringing back Agent Smith and making him kind of like almost super powered. Yeah, I I didn't like that they did the trope of we had one great movie. Oh, but now it's going to be a trilogy, but the second movie doesn't stand on its own because it ends on a big cliffhanger where you have to watch the third movie to really get it resolved. I don't like that. I don't like yeah. it. It's like, if you're going to do a trilogy, let each movie stand on its own. Don't. And, and you could argue that, well, Empire Strikes Back kind of did that in a way. And, and I will say that that's a fucking brilliant movie, <laughs> but, but it, it yeah. did, but, but it was a good enough movie in like so many other aspects that it, it it didn't really matter that it kind of ended on the bummer like that. Like it was, it was the play on family. I think that worked for star Wars. Yeah. But, but dude, there's, I don't know. It's like she, they, they had some really great ideas in, in those sequels, but, but I, I don't know. I didn't like all the tying in of Zion and stuff too. It's like, I kind of wanted it more like just taking place in that world. It's like, granted, you know, there was plenty of real world stuff going on in the first Matrix movie also, but it's like, I felt like they just brought too much of that in, in the other ones. And then the stuff that was just going on in the Matrix didn't, it wasn't nearly as important anymore. And and with Neo having the power that he had in there, it was like, they almost like, they gave him this godlike power at the end of the first one. And then they were kind of scratching their heads a bit in the sequels being like, well, how do we actually kind of throttle this guy back a little bit? For, yeah. for storytelling purposes. And it's like, ah, I didn't. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I feel you big time. And it, like it, it is a messy situation. And I guess the way you put it, it kind of sheds a new light on it for me where I can't really fault the director and not trust them to bring a adequate sequel back to the table because like they basically were they, they those the second and third Matrix movies were probably more more or less like. Hey, you guys had this wildly successful first movie. Do it again twice. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Make, well, it, and make us more money. Yeah, and it's hard to you know kind of make that happen again like that. And God, do you remember how wonky some of the CGI was also in in Reloaded? Yeah, I can't even watch it. <laughs> the um, scene where he's fighting all the Agent Smiths. Yeah, is oh my so god, terrible. It's so, yeah, it's awful. It's so <laughs> bad. It's like it's like they spent their whole budget on the uh, the sequence with the the twins and the the freeways. Yeah, 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 that's what or, I was gonna say too. <laughs> like they, they pissed away their, all their CGI budget on that to where you could get like they couldn't get better than like Gran Turismo three looking characters for the CGI fight with Neo and the 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 Smiths. Like, oh, and and that I think is a big like that visually really like impacted and ruined that that whole kind of that that that's that sequel movie for me Um, for years. When I returned to the Matrix, I only watched the first and I I don't I never really watched the other two. Yeah, Um, I'll watch select scenes out of Reloaded and truthfully, I never even bought Revolutions. I saw it in the theater and was just like, what the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> I was so upset. I was like, this was, it was a, it was a big smelly turd in a punch bowl for me. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it killed my excitement 
for speaking speaking of big letdowns, are you a Game of Thrones fan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I know yeah, what that, you mean. Um, yeah, I I, I, w- I was able to make peace with the finale and not. I didn't hate it. I would have liked to have seen the last like couple few seasons maybe stretched out into. I'd like to see like those last three seasons probably stretched out into more like six to seven seasons. Right. For the yeah. amount of stuff that they crammed in. Yeah. It just, like it, it felt so rushed. Yeah. After season four, it was like, cause like leading up to season four, it's like, all right, Jamie and I, I forget the, 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 the big chick's name, the Brienne the, of Tarth. The, yeah. Brienne of Tarth. So the, those two, there was like, at like half a season they spent traveling from one side of the <laughs> right one side like from one mat or from one town to the other like spent like a whole fucking season developed this whole relationship off of that which was like that was amazing storytelling i loved that and then it got to the point where it was like all right we're gonna go from the the ice wall to the to the kingdom that uh the dragon lady's at and we're gonna uh do that in all right next scene yeah like yeah, it was, was everything like, was so rushed what? Yeah, like it it just it it turned into a completely different show I think after season 4 for me and like I I did appreciate what I saw. I wasn't like I wasn't one of those people that were like fuck the ending. It was so like I got I got what I got and it is what it is, but like just you could tell just like the care of it. Like they they it just seemed more like they just wanted it to be done. Yeah, they were ready to move on to their next thing. And, yeah, like and they were like yeah. nope, nope, we we were just going to do you know, we're just going to wrap it up in these few seasons that are left and then making them truncated seasons also. And like season eight should have easily been two full length seasons by itself. Yeah, easily, easily. Like For, you for the stories seen. that they were telling, I mean, to just rush into the long night and then also like, dude, as a cinematographer, what did you think of how dark they shot that? Like, what the fuck? That was unnecessary like the, the you have one of the most like epic battles that you could have possibly shown tv based on like where you were at like with your budget with your tech with the storytelling like you're 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 delivering fans something that's expected to be big and then you don't even give them a, enough of a you couldn't even put a moon to give a nice blue glow on everything and make it nice and just <laughs> Like, I, I can't tell you how many movies I've seen where, like, they clearly filmed this movie during, like, sunrise or sun, like, the, 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 or there's some movies that you can watch where it's, like, they definitely filmed in the middle of the, of the day. Like, uh, Mad Max, Fury Road, all the at-night scenes that are all, like, really, really blue, those were all filmed during the day. Like, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a color grade to make it look like it's at night. Oh, gotcha. And, and so, like, they could have easily done that but they were like nope it's at night we're gonna shoot this in pitch black and we're gonna use torches to light the scene like what are you doing yeah yeah there there was a lot of mistakes made in that um but like as far as like oh this is just the turning of the story and how the story went and everything i was actually satisfied with all that yeah like oh i know a lot of people were upset with how they took um i I forget her yeah, uh, oh, was that no, you said her. Um, the the dragon lady. What was her name? Oh, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just calling her by her title, <laughs> Khaleesi. But what she had a it was something she was a Targaryen. What was her yeah. actual name? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I Daenerys Targaryen. 
Yeah, there you go. There you go. I was like, I know it's weird as shit. (laughs) Like the the turn that they took in the end with her character, they could have made that like a whole season. It it needed to be a season. It it felt so rushed that that all of a sudden this madness came on her. And they set it all up in the beginning that, you know, like like uh was it gods the gods flip a coin every time a Targaryen's born? You yep. know, to determine if it, they're going to be mad or not. So it's like madness runs in that bloodline. Like there's been a long history of Targaryens that were not suited to rule. And she's just another in that in that chain that ultimately it drove her fucking crazy. And she right. went way over the top and went way too fucking brutal. And to just do that over the span of like an episode or two, it was far too rushed, especially for a character that was so beloved that there's like yeah. people out there naming their babies <laughs> Daenerys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then to have her do that. Yeah. And then she's like, like turns into this like horrible killer. But like when you think about just the reality that so many of those characters live in, like so many of them are deeply flawed and and, and yeah. awful and and it, it, at some point it just becomes a a grading scale of okay well, well how <laughs> how fucking awful are you <laughs> yeah because yeah, that, nobody seriously. in that fucking world is like a hundred percent innocent right right exactly well and i mean in that in the time that they're supposed to be set in how could you be well no like, in 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 just with that world that he created with so much you know intrigue and you know, it's it's like nobody's above above it. And uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't I don't and like the ones who seem like they are like you find out that, no, that was an act like they're actually hiding. You know, the, the they had secrets they were hiding, you know, because like Ned Stark, you know, people I was like, oh, he's so it's honorable Ned Stark. But it's like by the time you get through the the series, you're like, find out this huge secret that he was yeah, keeping like from everybody in his family. And it's like, oh, yeah. wow. But yeah, like kind of shitty. <laughs> well, in, in a way, but you can be like, well, he was honor bound to keep that secret. And so true. I don't know. Very interesting characters. I, I it bums me out that that I feel like we're probably never going to see an actual end to that series. Yeah. I mean, I feel like like, I mean, it, eh, I don't know. They People from The Sopranos got their prequel. <laughs> they like, seem to really like it too. Yeah, and they yeah they really really did. Holy shit! Uh, I I had I had a couple buddies because like I uh, so I I'm a I'm definitely a Sopranos fan. I uh, I'm definitely too young to have been watching it when I was, but um, I was watching it as a kid. I actually the 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 car that's like my car enthusiast car is uh, it's a Lexus LS four hundred. It's the the same car from uh, the very first episode of The Sopranos. Oh, uh, nice. That, that to, to, it's God damn, I'm so bad with character fucking names. Um, but the 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 younger Italian guy that always had the flashy cars in The Sopranos. Um, it was his car, and he hops out to chase a guy down, and then Tony hops in the driver's seat and ends up just running the guy down with the car. <laughs> and I have, and I it's sitting out in my garage right now. And I, the part of the reason I have that car is because of the Sopranos, because I thought it was just a cool gangster car, and I love the way they look. Um, That's another blank spot for me. I should start that sometime. Oh, it's such a good show. I, I, I've I've rewatched it probably three times in the last 10 years watch the entire series and it's oh, it's it's just it gets better and better for me every single time i grew up around a lot of mob movies so like that that's just like 
all the love of mob just never ending for season after season. <laughs> like it's just so good. Um, yeah, I just didn't have HBO at the time that it was coming out. And, but, okay. but now it's like, I've had HBO max now for so long. There's really no excuse. Yeah, that's true. That is true. When HBO max came, when I got HBO max, that was the first thing I binge watched was <laughs> went through the entire series of the Sopranos again. Um, but one of the things we I wanted to touch on with the the Game of Thrones thing that I I feel has some levity to the conversation. So we talked about how like the directors or the the, the guys running the show sort of in the last season, last couple seasons had kind of given up. They were just sort of waiting to move on to the next big thing. And like I feel like as a filmmaker or even as like a showrunner like that, it's sort of like your creative responsibility that when you get to a point where you're just where you're over something that much where you're just like, I'm just wanting it to be done. I just want it to, to move on to the next. Like that, that's the opportunity where you have to sort of like ego check yourself and remember that like there's a lot of people like there's fans of the show. It may be your show that you have helmed these first four seasons, but it, if you if your heart's not in it anymore – it is your duty as a filmmaker to pass that torch along to somebody who gives a fuck about the story and will do the story justice. So that way, at least the audience can get what they want. Like that's really I'm fair. Sure, yeah. Like I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be a point in time where like, I like, I like Kevin Feige a lot as a person. Like he seems like a really genuine dude from what I've been able to gather of him on the internet. I don't do a lot of deep diving on the guy, but at face value, he seems like an all right dude to me. He seems like the type of dude that would be more than willing to like step down and pass that torch along to the next person who has good ideas for the future of Marvel. Whereas like the directors of game of Thrones, like they should probably should have dipped out at like season four and let somebody else take it on who has maybe put some fresh eyes on the project and been able to steer it more in the direction that it needed to be because the person that got brought on could have been somebody who was a fan and or not necessarily a fan, but like a fan of the show and had love for the show and enough to steer it in the direction that they cared about. Whereas like the guys who were running it, who got to run it to the end, didn't care in the end. And they should have. Yeah. It certainly felt like they didn't care at the end. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm just going to say they didn't. I, I'll, I, I, I make, I make shit enough that I could say creatively, they didn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I I haven't been in a hurry to go back and revisit it, but but again, you know, it comes down to time. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I ever will if I because like just knowing how it just like it goes like I'm if I watch it, I'd be like kind of dipping out after season four, like because like that's where that's where the show kind of exists for me, and like like I've got the last couple seasons, but like eh, they just don't do it for me. I think maybe season five can be included in that one through four too. Like I think season five was still pretty good. But after that, like there's definitely the last three seasons where it was just like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) (laughs) And I try to not watch things from like that very like filmic critical, like film snob kind of mentality. Like I try to like take it as like a, like just take in the story for what it is and don't have these like technical things that harbor me. But when it's like, when I'm passionate about what I'm doing to the point where I could be like, okay, I know if I'm not passionate about it, I'm going to step back. Like, like at my job, I, uh, I edit a lot of, I end up editing a lot of sit down videos and like, I'm not 
the best editor. I can edit, but I'm not like the best at editing. And it's not my favorite thing to do. My favorite thing to do is film and light stuff. Like I love doing that because like when you got a camera and you just point it at something, eh, it, 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 it just kind of bland. But then you throw some lights in there and start kind of creating like a scene with the lights and kind of trying to evoke a, mo- or a certain emotion or a look. That shit to me is like that's where I have a lot of fun. And I've I told my job. I was like, look, like I – I'm better used to you guys with a camera in my hand and I'm getting bored of sit down videos. Like what can we do to change that? And like, I've been doing sit down videos still for like the last year, but last summer I was able to go and do like, I, I, I got, I like doing a lot of like, they're called showcases of cars where you take a car out and you film a bunch of glamor shots of it sitting in a spot. And then you film some shots of it rolling down the street or driving down the street real fast or maybe weaving in and out of some cars if you have that ability. Um, and then cutting all that together in a fun, energetic way to some music. And that was what I got to do for like an entire summer. And I ended oh, up nice. having a, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was like, it's like every week for 13 weeks straight, I got to make like these little 10 minute short films that basically was showcasing a a car enthusiast and why they were passionate about cars and the, the use of that and using the car that they were currently driving as a way to push that, that excitement about it, like their passion for the car and then getting to like that, getting to translate into seeing the car and then the, just all that getting put together is just, it was fun. But I was creatively burnt out after doing that. Cause like these were 10 minute short films that I was making once a week. And that's a a lot to do uh, all in one go. And I'm kind of thankful for being able to have that job where I can be like, hey, I don't like doing what I'm doing. Can I do something else for a little while? And they'll give me two and a half months or three months to go do something else. That's really cool. It's great to have that sort of flexibility. It definitely also helps with uh, burnout. Yeah, definitely. Cause like I, after, after doing that series for 13 weeks, I was definitely creatively burnt out. Um, and it took me like six months to kind of fall back into like where I was shooting things that I enjoyed what I was shooting. And I, I I would shoot something. I'm like, I don't absolutely hate that. (laughs) And, uh, it was like, as a content creator, you end up being your own worst critic. A lot of the times, like, like I, I can make something of mine, uh, make something on my own and somebody else may watch it and be like, yo, this is, this is sick. This is really, really good. Like, how'd you do this? And I'm just like, eh, it's okay. And like, <laughs> cause, but, but the, I think the reason is, is cause like I see my mistakes and I know where I could have done better to correct those mistakes, but then I'm in a position where I can't go back and correct those mistakes. So I just have to wing it with what I got. And I'm like, yeah, that mistake is in there and I know what I should have done differently. And usually it, it ends up, you know, kind of, I've worked that mistake out in through future videos, but like, it's still one of those things where it was like, fuck, like just to create the, the creative burnout that I experienced from it was like, like I, the first thing that I did to try and get the creative juices flowing again, is I, hit up a couple of my buddies that still live down in Milwaukee, took a day to drive down there and just walked around with them. I was like, Hey, you guys going to go out and shoot pictures, like do some street photography. I want to tag along and just film you guys doing it. And that's what I ended up doing. And that's kind of what cool really helped me kind of bring it back was like, I went and stepped out of the realm of like cars and YouTube and doing all that shit and 
really just focused on trying to create something that I knew I would enjoy. And I, I look at things from like an audience perspective a lot. So I know if I enjoy it, like maybe the audience will too, or at least somebody in the audience will. Uh, my biggest thing is, is if it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, it will get you too. Oh, nice. <laughs> like I, I, I have that little, like I figured that one out. That's so your spidey like, sense. <laughs> yeah, that's my spidey sense. I got that and I got the pacing down. So I think I, I could do filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, dude, just I... a belief in yourself is 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 such a huge thing, especially in the pursuit of a dream. Yeah, you know. So you got yeah. that going for you. It sounds like. <laughs> I, I'd say so. I'd say I remained relatively passionate about because, like, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, like with like not having the opportunity to do this kind of thing when I was growing up. It's like when I was growing up, this was very much like a pipe dream for me, and now it's something that it's like, like I remember being. 10, 12, even younger telling kids at school, like, I'm going to be an actor or I'm going to be a movie director one day. And they'd be like, fuck you. You're not being jack shit. Like, I remember, <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I scream Two. I don't know why the movie poster for that stands out to me. It was in a, a, there was a comic book. I think it was a daredevil comic book I had that on like the last page, there was a, an advertisement for scream Two, And I always remembered like looking at that advertisement a lot and just like, just looking at the lighting and like thinking about like the acting and just I don't know why having like the, just these moments of thought about like acting in movies, but it it all stuck and it was all like one of those things where it was like like you should go after this one day and then and then it was no you shouldn't go after that because it's a pipe dream and then YouTube blew up and it was kind of like hey you know you might actually have the opportunity to do to do this start making videos. So I started making videos for myself and doing that. And then like, and then it eventually led me to this job where now I work for a company that we, our goal is to sell wheels, tires and suspension for cars on like an aftermarket platform. Um, but we make YouTube videos and that's how we connect with our audience. And it's like, we, we entertain and educate on YouTube. And that's like, sort of like the filmmaking thing. It's not necessarily filmmaking. Like I know there's some severe filmmakers out there that would be like, that's not real filmmaking. Uh, like the, 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 there's a, a stigma against wedding videographers, like wedding figure. There, there was <laughs> a, a page I was part, a part of that. They were, uh, a big argument was wedding videographers are not filmmakers. And all the people that like work on the regular on movies basically had the upper hand in that. Uh, it was very much, a a stigma against people like me. Like I'm not considered a real filmmaker by real filmmakers. <laughs> that sounds like some gatekeeper shit. I can kind of yeah. get that though with the wedding photographers though. <laughs> Just like they probably don't consider wedding DJs like a real DJ. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I had a buddy of mine make a really good wedding video last year that kind of had a it was an eye-opening moment for me where I, it was the first time I was really getting to see like a actual well-done wedding video that was filmed by somebody who I knew who I knew had the confidence behind the camera to do it right. And it was a gorgeous story. Like they did such a good job, but like I've got a wedding that I'm going to actually be filming a video for next year. And I, it's my first wedding video that I've ever done. And I've done photos for weddings, but I've never done a video. 
And I've already been talking with the bride and groom about like certain scenarios. I'm like, Hey, like, I know you guys are going to walk off after, uh, after, you know, you, you say your vows and have the kiss and you're going to walk off and walk down the aisle. As soon as you guys are done, I want to bring you back and I want to get like a very nice up close, well lit shot of the ring going on her finger. So like, I'm going for like more storytelling, I guess, and trying to get like, instead of just gorilla shooting it, actually like setting some stuff up and shooting it. Cause I've got little lights and stuff that I can make work. And I have a buddy of mine who's going to be shooting with me. It's like, I can be like, here, hold this light right here and just hold the light above her hand at this spot. And I can get the lighting right and just slip the ring on and boom shots on done move on and they can go do their photos and they were like yeah we can totally make that work i'm like fuck yeah like i get to do my filmmaking <laughs> thing like i try to i try to inject the story taking and the storytelling aspect wherever i can because then it i feel like cinematography or a cinematic video doesn't exist without a story to go with it no, that's true. I mean, you really do got to have some sort of story. That's like, you know, the best documentaries and stuff you'll watch. There'll be some sort of story underline going through it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I just I, I, I always try and just do where what and where I can. I, I have a lot of connections to a lot of people that are like into filmmaking, but because of my lack of schooling in it it's it's been hard for me to break into that world so it's very much a gatekeeping kind of thing hmm. gosh you'd, you'd really think that real world experience would be the bigger it's it's getting to that thing. point it's getting to that point i have a buddy who he so i i know i know a guy who he knows cad really well he knows 3d rendering really really well um he actually brings his 3d printer into work and he made uh I, 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 I'm not, you're probably not too familiar with TikTok. Not too much. (laughs) So my uh, wife has sent me two of them since we've been talking. (laughs) Nice. Okay. I don't have the app, but she sends me ones that that she thinks are noteworthy. (laughs) (laughs) I I get that too from, from my girlfriend. I get very noteworthy. (laughs) The the ones that are the funniest or that I think will think are funny. She, uh, she sends me, but there's, there's this guy that has recently had a bit of viralness on, uh, on TikTok, and he's been 3d printing characters. Like he 3d printed like a Shrek, um, Mike Wazowski. He did like a dinosaur, uh, a spider and he 3d prints them with Dwayne Johnson's head. Okay, yeah, I've seen some of those. I saw like the Rocktopus one. Yeah, so my buddy at work, he he got the CAD document and made made a Rocktopus. So at my work, we have a Rocktopus floating around. Um, but that dude, he like he went to schooling for CAD stuff, and he, right now his like he he involves CAD in his job because um, one of the so the company I work for is a big umbrella company that there's all these little companies under it. And the company I work work for is a little company under it called Fitment Industries. And then this guy works under another little company called Artists of Wheels, and they make wheels. And then Fitment Industries, we we try and sell the wheels along with other wheel brands. Um, but Artists of Wheels is like our own in-house wheel brand that we created. And this dude that runs it, he uh, he gets to do wheel designs. He gets to design, uh, design wheels on his own, and he uses oh, cool. his CAD pro- yeah, he use, he'll use a CAD program to like design like a 3D model of the wheel. And I know he's tried to do some 3D prints of it. I'm not sure how successful he's been. I know he said it's a major pain in the ass to 3D print a small version of a wheel. Um, but 
like he gets to do that and he I think went to school for it. I know he's very, very, very talented with 3D printing and like 3D modeling and stuff. But then on the flip side of it, I got this other kid who he just recently quit. He was a graphic designer and me and him are good buddies because he's a he's a pretty talented photographer. His name is Shane and he likes doing drone photography. And what he recently figured out that he could do is that he started doing three like he takes his drone flies his drone up in the air and he'll do like a he'll he'll get some photography or video of a building or um of some architecture and he recently downloaded a program where he can now take that footage and 3D map an area oh cool so, yeah so companies out there they're like oh well we've got this company we've got this website to we want a 3D model of our building and they'll hire him he'll come out fly his drone around the building, get all the shots that he needs for the coverage is for the coverage that he knows that he needs to eliminate any blind spots. And then he uploads it into a computer and then he's got this little like 3D Google Earth model of the building that he can send to them. And the shit's like he can charge like ten thousand dollars for like thirty minutes Ooh. worth of work. Yeah. And 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 all it is is he 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 knows how to f- shoot a photo, he knows how to fly a drone, and he's licensed to fly a drone. And like the license to fly a drone was like 300 bucks, and the drone itself was like another two grand. And like there's other guys that do it on cheaper drones. You don't need a $2,000 drone. You don't you don't need the most expensive one on the market. Um, and it, but you, like you just need to know what to do. And like I'm sure my buddy that, that works for the wheel company, I'm sure he would know exactly how to do it. He's even he's even big into aviation. His uh, he recently got married at um, there's a, a big aviation center in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and his his wedding ceremony was held at uh, at this big aviation center. And so he's big into that. He flies RC planes a lot. Um, he does a little bit a little bit of the uh, FPV drone stuff now. Um, but he could easily go out and do this and probably make money on his own. And like, it's just crazy to think that like the dude that's got the dude that's like barely 21 with no, you know, formal experience, no formal training has just had real world learning experiences is going out there and being able to just make money hand over fist on, you know, just a really special talent. Yeah. That's that dude's living a fucking dream. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's it's, it's it insane. Like, yeah, he he left and he was like, dude, I've got no reason to look back. I'm like, well, good for you, man. Like, that's that's fantastic. Like, that's super awesome that you have that opportunity. Like, I'm working towards building that opportunity for myself because, like, I'd eventually like to. I, I I definitely there's there's a certain youth to the job that I do right now, and I definitely don't want to be in my 40s doing the job that I do now. Like, it'd be cool. Like, if I was doing some sort of higher up managerial or director kind of thing with it. But like, I want to make movies and this company isn't going to pay me to make movies. So (laughs) eventually I'm going to probably part ways with the company I'm at, but I would like to do so in not going to go work for somebody else and just be my own boss and go into business for myself and doing freelancing, which is where like the wedding videography and stuff like that kind of comes in. Well, there you go. I mean, you got to start, you know, you got to do what you got to do to pursue your dream. And, and like I was saying earlier, man, just the, the pursuit of that dream should be enough to, to do it for you, you know, and, and hopefully it's going to go somewhere. And, and if, if you believe in yourself and you're willing to take the steps to do it, then fucking why not, man? 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like the the biggest thing, I guess, to somebody that's, you know, in a similar position to me that I could like lend as advice is like, like, I know I have a lot of confidence in what I do. And like, I've been doing it for a long time. So that's where that confidence has come in there. Even to this day, there's still like, and you've, you've heard bits of it throughout me saying like, there's probably not a chance that I'm going to be a filmmaker, but that's what I want to do. Like, there's always that doubt. And like, there's been times where I've been like, like I get in my car after work and I'll just sit there and I'll just kind of like, I'll see some like sort of filmmaking thing on Instagram that I'm into. And I'm just like, man, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm never going to be able to do that. And, but it's like that, that's like, you got to learn how to counter that. And usually my best way of countering that is going out and like taking a super cool picture, making something, (laughs) making a super cool video to be like, fuck that negative thought. Like I can do this shit. I could make like, look at that. That looks exactly like a movie. I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) See, there you go, dude. Yeah, the, the, the self-doubt thing is the real killer. I think that's, like, the biggest thing why most people don't chase, like, their, like, dream oh, job. Oh, yeah, like, 100%. Like, it's, it's like the, the, the doubt in yourself or the self-doubt or if, you're, if your dream job is too wild. Like, I know <laughs> – I, I forget what movie it was where there was – I think it was, like, Nick Swartzen where he's like, I want to be an astronaut. And it's like, well, you can't be an astronaut because you're in, like, your 30s and you didn't go to enough schooling for it earlier on. <laughs> and, and then his mom's like, you're not going to be, you can't be an astronaut. I forget what the hell it was where like the mom was just like, you can't do that. Cause you're like an adult. <laughs> but like, it's, it, it's like, like there's, there's doubt. There's always going to be that self doubt. I think in, in, until you're like really doing specifically what you want to do. Like, and until I'm really making movies, like, and when I am making movies, I'm going to be like, even now I'm like, I got to pinch myself. Like I, I get to make YouTube videos for a living. Like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> Super cool, dude. Dude, I've had the best time talking with you tonight. I really appreciate you coming Hell yeah. on. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. It's it's been an absolute blast. Like the, this this makes me want to like I might. It's been a while since I've done a space cowboy episode, and I think after going to go see uh, Spider Man uh, No Way Home, I think I'm gonna have to uh, might have to get a get a new episode going. Gonna revive yeah. the series a little bit. Hell yeah, dude. I'll look forward to listening to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well if, once it, if I do it, it'll definitely I'll be posting about it because that was one thing I always made sure to do is like send it out there. If I made content, I was going to definitely share it with any <laughs> outlet I had to share it with. There you go. <laughs> well, dude, this has been a great time having you on. Definitely going to have you on again in the future. Um, I, I feel like we've just scratched the tip of the iceberg with Steve. Oh, Miller. absolutely. Yeah. There's. <laughs> Like I like I told you in the beginning, I've got my mom's genetics, so I could talk your ear off. And like, <laughs> you we, don't say. We, yeah. <laughs> if it isn't evident by now, after almost three hours of podcasting, it yeah, it, it's just who I am. <laughs> it's very been rich great. With thank, stories. <laughs> thank you for coming on, and thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been Startcast.